to What Are You Doing Movie Archives. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Down in Front. Our movie this week is... Just forget it. It's Chinatown. Uh, <laughs> the 1974 Slow classic. Clap. I'm going to do that joke so often, so get used to yeah. it. The 1974 classic by uh, Roman Polanski. We'll get there. Asterisk. Yeah. Go ahead and pop in your DVD or Blurry. They have a Blurry. Uh, I don't press play, do, I get it. Press pause when the Paramount logo fades to black. The first frame you perceive of all black after that brown sepia tone Paramount logo fades down, press pause. And in a second, I'll say three, two, one, unpause, at which point I'll press play, you press play, and we'll watch the movie together in perfect sync. It'll be like any other commentary, except, of course, this time with four friends in your head. Uh, who are myself as always, Chick Christie, my friend Brian William Fenifter. Greetings. Michael Dorkman Scott. Hello. And Eddie the Eddie Doty. I'm here to entertain you. Chinatown, I was talking about this before we started recording, is we've done 2001 and we've done Full Metal. We've, we've done some classic ish movies. Uh, but we haven't, uh, from what I remember, all the classic, classic movies we've done have been Kubrick movies where we're sort of overcome by conversation about Kubrick's style and who he was and what the films he made meant and all that stuff. This is the first one where we're really just examining a classic. Uh, that comes with a hefty reputation. It's hailed by most people as one of the best screenplays ever written. And we'll have an opportunity to really look at it as compared to its reputation. We didn't do that so much with 2001. It, well, beyond me going, I don't get it. I don't get it. Stop it. What happened, lol? Yeah, that doesn't count. In this in this case, we're going to have an opportunity to really look at it, and I'm looking forward to that. The movie itself, I, I like just fine. I think it lives up to its reputation better than, say, Taxi Driver does. Um, or Godfather for me, personally. Ooh, I don't think so. Fighting words. Fight words. I'm not a big fan fight of Godfather. Fighting words. Ooh, we'll shit. have to do that eventually. We'll have to do that. Do you really want to get killed by the internet? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Controversy. Or the AFI and their shadow ninjas. I wonder how, yeah. I wonder how Trey feels about Godfather. He loves it. Because we've had that conversation. Yeah, oh, okay, cool. he, he, I mean. Anyway. It's not his favorite film. But, this you know. movie, I think, I, I like it more than those other classic films that you're supposed to love. In fact, much more. I, I, Jack Nicholson carries it well, and Faye Dunaway is stunningly hot. Although her teeth, not so much. John Huston is the, one of the greatest villains of all time. John Huston, yeah. and he, he, you know, he plays that. You know, he would now be a, what Christopher Plummer, that that goodly old man, but he's evil role very well. The very charming evil old man, or um, the guy that was in Babe, James huh. Cromwell. James Cromwell, that's right. James Cromwell is an evil. He's cuddly. Well, he's in a lot of sci-fi movies as an evil guy. Yeah, I wouldn't really count Sir. He does look kind of scary, though. You know, I will have, say. Yeah. Anyway, He's got the scary look. Yeah, uh, fucking whatever. Chinatown. I like <laughs> it. I'm I'm a, I'm a fan of Chinatown. It's, I you know, it is what it is. It's it's not an exciting movie, but it is a tense and interesting movie. Brian. Yeah, uh, this is us diving a little more into film school territory than I think we've ever actually mm-hmm. gone before. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that that works out. I think the the really impressive thing about Chinatown is how. Uh, how intricate and how complicated the plot is right. and how perfectly it, it all still works. Right. It's a very complicated plot and it does, you know, the first time you watch it through, it's very hard to keep up with the actual uh, machinery of the events of what's going on, but it's, it's all there and it all works and it does the red herrings very, very well. And, you know, cause it's a, it's in- very intentionally a, you know, Raymond Chandler type uh, noir mystery. And so there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, this, I think I figured it out, but no, you haven't actually figured it out. It's actually this entirely different thing, and it's all very complicated. But it all makes an in, internal, in, consistent sense. That's in terms that's of very uh, solid. In terms of psychological thrillers and mysteries, uh, maybe not psychological thrillers, but you know what I mean. Maybe this is almost to that genre as Alien is to sci-fi and Blade Runner, where you see a lot of the stuff that you see in Chinatown over and over again. I don't know if Chinatown was 
a late in the game entry into that category of China, films. Well, Chinatown I is... I mean, film noir had been around Exactly. Forever. Chinatown yeah. is a noir film. It's very film. late to the game in terms of film noir. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. Noir, a, noir's heyday was the 40s and 50s, and this is 74. So yeah. this is very much a throwback to that era. Yeah. Very but cool. it's doing it very, very well. Dorkman? Uh, you went I, to film school? No, did I did you not. Study Chinatown? As a matter of fact, I did not go to film school, so I haven't. Uh, I haven't studied Chinatown, and I haven't. Uh, I was setting you up so uh, you'd have to admit that right on the show. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've admitted that before. You you're, you're a big anti-film school guy. Yeah, I'm. I'm against film school, generally speaking. So it should come as no surprise that I didn't go. Um, but uh, yeah, I didn't. I haven't really studied yet. I know that it's a, a big uh, in terms of screenplay. Like you can read. I think one of the Sid Field books is all about like let's just look at Chinatown. Yeah, there's like a chapter on. I know. Yeah. I hadn't actually seen Chinatown until recently, last year, sometime when I took a screenwriting course, yeah. and part of it was. We're go just watch gonna, Chinatown. We're gonna this go, Casablanca. Here, like here, go read the script of Chinatown, then come back and we'll watch it and we'll just analyze it. Yeah, so I'd moment. heard about that, and so I watched Chinatown. It was a couple years ago, um, and yeah, I was just like, wow, that's a really good movie. And it's like, <laughs> but I don't, I don't have like the the uh, you know the depth of analysis and stuff sure. like that that I would have if I had taken a class on Chinatown. That right. I'm sure they they so an entire um, but that'll give us a sure different exists. perspective yeah. than people might have heard before. Uh, potentially, I, I'm pro- we're gonna say that. Now, yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm sure it, at the very at the very best, I'll probably just reinvent the wheel. People will be like, "Yeah, a guy wrote a book on what you just said back in 1982 or whatever." Right, so right. you know, Eddie, you're a fan of film noir. I'm a fan of film noir. I'm a, cl- I'm a fan of and you and you film. love nose injuries. I lo- <laughs> <laughs> I've, had, I've had several myself. Uh, no, I, I I love classic film and I you know quote unquote classic film and um, I talked I've talked a few times before about like the uh, the sort of film club that my father and I had where for like seven years we just watched classics more modern classics as well but this is it is a definitive 1970s movie because when we talk about 1970s american cinema that's really being a renaissance period of american film well polanski is an american uh, but but still American studio working American in the actors, American system American, yeah. American studio yeah what, 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 and helping to define what you know it was released here he's talking about he defining the American landscape the American, of, of cinema the American yeah. sensibility and a lot of and a lot of American sensibility of the 70s was taking foreign or ethnic directors yeah and, a lot of French stuff. French French uh, I mean influence. even even Coppola I mean a lot of it, I mean it's a very Italian sensibility uh, to it and and so that's what I love about this. I mean, Chinatown is a is one of the uh, it's definitive of the period it's definitive of the place I think this is the most or one of the top three most definitive movies that's where Los Angeles is a character. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about the history of Los Angeles and how, <laughs> you know, this is, I, a, I totally agree with you. This is a sprawling murder mystery. Yes. And as an LA is a sprawling city. We're not, we're not like, we're not like New York. It's not like, Oh, the Island of Manhattan, that's New York city. No, LA is just all over the fucking place. And you can, it's this giant block. You drive, you drive 20 minutes in any direction here. You could end up anywhere. I, you know, a place where I used to live, with my family was like really nice and everything. And then literally two blocks over was an LAPD video drug zone. And that's, <laughs> that's LA, you know, you have really nice facades with this, like this underbelly of really disgusting stuff underneath it. And that's, that's what this film like elucidates. I think it's like has. a golden ghetto, but yeah, it, it really is. And, and it's, but, and it's uh, because of the time it takes place in right, the thirties. Right. That is very much the golden age of mm-hmm. Los Angeles and movies and stuff like that. So you get the, the balance of right. the, the, 
yeah, the, the glamour the, and then the underside. The very glamorous LA and then, yeah, exactly. We'll talk more about it later, but the, I mean, this movie takes place right at the cusp of the birth of Los Angeles as we know it because LA was very different. Well, the movie is, uh, is about that. It's, it's, about, it's, it's about 37, it's got, I think. It's got history about, about what, I mean, the, the Mulray character is based off of Mulholland. We have a street named after him here. Mm-hmm. And how very famous he, one. A very Hollis fa- Mulray is uh, a loose, is, it, it's not a, exact. It's, it's, a, it's actually an acronym. It's, it's a recombination and, of the letters. Wikipedia of, says it's almost an anagram, which, it's, yeah, which, it's which to my a, response is, no such thing as almost an anagram. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's it's almost any an two words are almost sure. an anagram. It's either an anagram or it's not. Yeah. But yeah, but it's it, it's very it's a sound like of of uh, Hollis Mulray Mulholland Mulholland. Yeah. And, uh, and and because of that, it's it uses like real history as like a, a launching ground for this really bad murder mystery. And by bad, I mean badass. Uh, performance is great. Direction is great. Polanski, say what you want about it, him morally, and believe me, we're gonna get a lot of laughs out of that today. <laughs> uh, you know, say what you want. He has uh, a very distinct filmmaking. He put together hand, a kick-ass movie, and and uh, everyone's firing on all cylinders. John Huston, who's a classic film director in his own right, mm-hmm. uh, who who made a lot of the great early westerns and worked with uh, you know uh, uh, John Wayne a lot. He plays one of the best on-screen slimiest, like the slimy with a great smile to him. The guy will charm smoking your smoking jacket, and, bad yet, bad and, guy, and rape your skull afterwards. You right. know, like he's he's that guy. And so this, I mean, it's a classic for a reason, and it's a good script for a reason. And this and Casablanca and uh, uh, Butch and Ca- Butch and Sundance is like the three mm. scripts you read in in film school or in film class where they say study these three and just study the hell out of them. And and you Butch Cassidy was was Goldman, wasn't it? Was Goldman, Goldman. and yeah. I think well, I think in large part because those were the scripts that were available from the sure. time as well. Yeah. I, mean, sure. I mean, Goldman put the entire script right. in his book, Adventures yeah. in the Screen exactly. Trade. So. And, and, and talk that long length about It's it. interesting, before we get started here, what you were saying about L.A. being treated as a character, because you hear directors say that all the time, and just about every time you really want to hit them. Right. <laughs> it was funny because uh, when you said that about this movie, I completely agree with you. L.A. is a character in this movie. In fact, it's called Chinatown. The uh, the last time I heard that was 500 Days of Summer. I watched the movie, and then after the fact, the director was talking about how L.A. is basically a character in the movie. I had literally not noticed with that. it was L.A. Yeah. Yeah. In the movie. It, it could have yeah. been any city. Could have been exactly. Vancouver. It yeah. been not, any only, city. not only was it used in any particular way, aside from one scene where he's like, here, I'm going to draw the buildings on your yeah. pits or whatever it was. Right. I literally didn't know it was L.A. Yeah, I, don't, yeah, I like yeah. 500 Days of Summer, but I would completely disagree with the, yeah. the characters. So that's why I was, it was, yeah. it's refreshing to hear someone say that about a movie. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. It really is. Yeah. That being said, let's take a look at the character that is Los I Angeles. I really did think it was like Detroit or something. It, like just it, some it, random I, city. I, well, like, there's that, that whole scene that where they go to the park and say, nobody ever comes down and looks at this yeah. part. And I was like, uh, okay, I, I wonder I, what the building is. that is. And yeah. it wasn't too long after that where a friend and I did go down to that park. Uh, and like, oh, it's here. Okay. Honestly, that Jim Carrey movie, Yes Man, that did a better job of L.A. as part of, and that's not a great movie but like that's you know that that did a better job of LA guys, as a character. guys? yeah whatever <laughs> we'll do 500 days of summer we'll get there we'll never do yes man <laughs> you've got your dvd or blurry synced up to the point where the paramount logo faded to black i think it's the paramount logo i might have gotten that wrong in the first place whatever the distribution logo is it's paramount good yeah uh here we go three two one on pause and there's quite a bit of history with that as well this is one of those movies that helped save paramount like because Paramount was not doing there's, so good. There's the whole saga with uh, uh, yeah, Robert if, Evans. If you, I mean, just we'll get Robert, Robert Evans, Evans production. Of. By the way, real quick, at some point, listener in the future, uh, pause this. YouTube Patton Oswalt Robert Evans. That's a great. That's a great piece. But and it goes there's a wonderful further. bit he does about Robert Evans. There's a great documentary called The Kid Stays in the Picture, which is uh, you based know, on his book. Based on his book, but it's an interesting. It's a. It's an interesting take on on how to do a documentary, and, and b. Yeah. It's a great, just classic 
story and not 100% factually accurate because it's all from Bob <laughs> Evans' point of view. But and it, he was doing a lot of cocaine. A lot of cocaine. It's, it's all the broad strokes. Now, here we are. This is 1974, but already we're looking it like a 30. classic 1930 yeah. And yeah. The, the score, the, it's basically a lone trumpet. And it's a very... Yeah. Just, it's a very definitive that movie kind of score uh, and it was it was put together in a really short period of time yeah. like a couple of weeks right the score yes yeah mm. no, because just, they I, had they had had a different score and they had a screening it was goldsmith i think wasn't it well no jerry goldsmith is the guy that did it yeah who, and all the below the, all the, the below line credits are yeah. on the front of the movie which like, is like uh, which is a throwback from yeah. how it was done in how the 30s be, yeah um it had a different score and somebody somebody who in the behind the scenes I think it was to uh, Robert Evans. They're like, the movie's great. Or Roman Polanski, one of their uh-huh. friends, like, the movie's great, but you got to do something about that score. Uh-huh. And they agreed, so they brought in Jerry Goldsmith. Nice. Now, uh, this, I mean, we think of film noir, we think of movies from the 30s, the 40s, the 50s. Citizen Kane, Third Citizen Man. Kane, uh, Sunset Boulevard, Shadow of a Doubt. which uh, Maltese not, Falcon. Maltese Falcon. All the Dashiell Hammett type stories, that's what we think of. And this is, uh, you know, this aesthetically... Uh, it takes that feel, but also just you know from a tone perspective of of just like the you know, the soul being dark and this horrible. I mean, th- and this is great too. This actually gets referenced in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Th- that's what I was thinking you know? when I watched this. When they, they when they, I watched they fade up from the credits into pictures into of the pictures. Affair. When I and watched it goes this, backwards. I, uh, it goes backwards. It starts with them fucking, and then it starts you know. Yeah. When I, when I watched this, I was like, oh, it's Roger Rabbit without tunes. <laughs> Pretty much. But what I didn't know until book. reading the the IMDb trivia is that. This is the first part of a planned trilogy, right? Yeah. And the third, the third one never got made. The second one did with Jack Nicholson, Nicholson and two J's. The third 90. one, the third one never got made, but it was basically cannibalized, and parts of it were used in Who Framed Roger really? Rabbit. Yeah. So Who Framed Roger Rabbit really is like a Chinatown, Chinatown sequel with, because, well, with no, tunes in it. <laughs> well, no, that that, that the uh, it was going to be about the development of the the stuff with the freeway and the trolley yeah. car and how that that was going to be the basis of the third one. Yeah. Uh, and you know, here we got Burt Young uh, for a Pauline from Rocky, uh, who does a, a, a small role here. This is a great scene that it helps establish Jake's character. There's so many great little character moments that you see. The right. fact that he, he pulls the, the cheap booze. Right. Because <laughs> he knows he knows his audience. Yeah. He, he knows that's what's comforting. But like he... Uh, well, it's also, he's a nice guy. He, here, right. I'll, I'll give yeah. you a drink because I'm a nice guy, but I'm not going to give you my best stuff. And there's a familiarity to it because you know it's like he, he knew he was going to do that. He knew as soon as he saw this photo, he was like, I've got to have, I've got to have a drink ready for him. It's like he's, just, yeah. he's, he's done this before. Uh, and he's seen this all. And that's his character is jaded and he thinks he's seen it all. And what's great about this is you take it, you start with the character who thinks he's seen it all, has seen some horrible shit. You know, you get those illusions of Chinatown and all that other stuff, but really it, it ends up in a place that he's never been in before. And that's why this this scene is great because it helps establish our character, but it acts as a plot device later when he needs to right. call on it's, it's, uh, it's Stephen King, I think, that said, you know, the what. Uh, if you're a really good writer, you set up the your end in your very beginning. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And there's no th- this is one of the all-time great examples of setting up the end both thematically and plot-wise right. in the very opening shot and in the very opening scene of how the ending is going to play out. Right, right. Now, it, it, traditional film noir, you know, they they kind of call it film noir because in the old black and white days, uh, it was always darker palettes, it was always at night. So, I mean, the screen you'd you'd walk into a dark theater, you'd sit down, and the screen was almost entirely black the entire time. Uh, 
this is a, obviously a color film, but really, you know, you can pay attention to the color palette and the way that and the way it, there's a lot of shadow in the shot, a lot of shadow, yeah. a lot of a lot of softer edges, and a lot of the framing, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, and, and pay attention to the production design and the costume of what Jack Nicholson wears throughout all of this because he's almost always in contrast to like the to the background. He always kind of sticks out no matter where he's at. He's in this white suit in this shadowy room talking to this you know mummy of a lady. On the behind the scenes, they were talking about how Robert Evans, the producer, wanted it to be more stylistically like the classic film noir, and Polanski was was like, no, in, in certain aspects of like the, the the film type, and Polanski was like, no, I'm just gonna make it very naturalistic and make it as it as it would be. And so it, the original intention, at least from the producer's point of view, was to make it even more stylistically classic film noir than than it ended up being. And I think I think it strikes a good balance. I mean, I agree. In in if you if you make it naturalistic, you know, the part of it is going to be it's actually going to be a higher contrast look than you're used to because right. you you always bring in a lot of fill lights and you you know you're you're tweaking it so that it, there's it's never gets too dark or whatnot and blah blah blah. And if you shoot it naturalistically, it's going to tend towards right. a noirish feel even without trying. Right. Absolutely. Which now, is probably where noir originated in the first place. Well, if noir means black, it's, it's yeah. it was the French who you know said this this style of filmmaking the the black is more realistic. Yeah. It's black. It's dirty. It's black both in color palette and it's black both in like in the darkness. Yeah. There's a great YouTube clip that I posted on my uh, Facebook page a long time ago. Deep focus, uh, but it's it's a it's a it's a highlight collection of film noir clips set to a massive attack song, uh-huh. and it's amazing it's like it's 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 like 50 some odd films and there's very little dialogue in it but there's the one bit of dialogue it lifts is from uh shadow of doubt by by hitchcock and it's the line where it says don't you know that most people are swine that if you rip the fronts of houses off of everybody you'd see you know that the world's already a hell what's the matter if there's a few more in it it's that's what when we talk about film noir that's what it is there's no your protagonist no one's innocent no one comes out okay in any of these films and this follows in that tradition especially in this movie a little bit of history here for our folks who don't live in Southern California or Los Angeles. Something you need to know about LA. We're a goddamn desert. We yes. are dry as a bone out here. As a lot of as whenever, whenever you hear about fires happening every other week out here, it's because there's very little natural water. All the water gets piped in from other places. Yeah, we steal other people's water. Exactly. Yeah. It gets popped, and that's which is what this movie is about. Right. It's about yeah. the act of us stealing that water. Which is what decentralized a lot of the farms from north what what is now Canyon Country and Valencia and all that stuff. A lot of that used to be farmland, but we piped in a lot of that uh, from the from the other valleys, from Apple Valley and all these other places. We pipe in uh, the water here to which is what when we started doing this that's what enabled Los Angeles to become this huge city. It, it didn't used to always be that way. Later on, there's a line where it says LA is a small town and it was, it was a small town. You a see, small series I, of I mean, you see again, going back to the feel of the thirties and stuff like that. And if you look at movies from that time and they, they bring it back here, um, it's always, it, it feels very, um, I, I guess agrarian is a way to say it, but I mean, it, it, you know, there's these kind of estates, Mm. And they're all very separate from each other. You know, it's not it's not house, 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 house. It's very much they're not city blocks. Yeah, I yeah, live right, here, and right. my nearest neighbor is five miles is that way. Five miles that way, yeah. just past my property right. line. You know, here we, we have uh, Ron Howard and Clint Howard's dad coming in here. Yep, uh, Rance Howard, and he we just one of the farmers, right? Yeah, the angry one that's yelling at him. Um, and we just passed there. He is. There he is. Well, we just passed the introduction of Hollis. Uh, Mulray. Yeah, not not a good looking man. It's, yeah. a, it's it's a it's amazing uh Bryce Dallas Howard is as beautiful as yeah. she is. It really is. Well she's a couple steps removed. I guess really. So. Yeah, but it only Who's got the worse. Mom? 
it, it Aphrodite Steven must Spielberg. be. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. It's the only possible so answer. This, uh, Where did they shoot all this in the 70s? Because yeah, that looks like what like the valley would have yeah. looked like. This, I think, this that is, looks like what our place would have looked like. No, I know, point. I know exactly where this is. This is, uh, th- I believe, this is uh, off the 101 by Haskell. This is now paved over. Is the Sepulveda Dam? Yeah, like the, you think that's the Sepulveda Dam? I think it's, it's, I, I, it's, I I think it's north. No, I think it's north of the Sepulveda. North of that? Yeah, north of the Sepulveda. Sepulveda Dam, by the way, is a very famous one of those. Hollywood landmarks. They shoot a lot of stuff there. If, if you know what it looks like, you'll see it pop up in everywhere. They shot, it's been in uh, 24, Iron Man. They shot Iron Man 2 there, but yeah. you wouldn't recognize it because right. they just set containers. up a giant green screen there. Okay. Gattaca. They walk around in Gattaca. Gattaca. They do walk around in Gattaca. Now, now right now, they got Jack the binoculars Ni- shot. J.J. Giddies, Jack Nicholson, is following Hollis Mulray because... He's suppo- hired by his wife. Supposedly hired by his wife. We'll find out later. Yeah. Uh, something else. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... He, his wa- the woman who By came the way, in, if you haven't seen this movie spoiler, before, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Let me, let, me, let me say this real quick. There is a line in pop culture that you've heard before that is the spoiler to this movie, and if you don't know it's connected to this movie, it will spoil you when we yeah. say it. Rosebud. So if you, if you really... It's, yeah, it's Rosebud. <laughs> so if you haven't seen this movie... No, stop, Jake. Just, just, I just am your father. Just know that we are going to spoil it, and it's going to ruin a really good movie for you. Uh, Go on. Anyway, so this woman has come in and said, I'm, I'm Hollis Mulray's wife. He's cheating on me. I want you to uh, tail him and expose it. So he, he goes to this meeting, and then the first we see of Hollis Mulray is him getting up in front of these people and saying, you guys want to build this dam to irrigate the, the land, and I'm not going to do it because last time I did it, it broke and killed a whole bunch of people. Exactly. I'm not going to do it. It's as simple as that. Right. And now he's following him still and basically just gathering clues. and Gathering information. Thinking it's going to be just like any other case, and that's why yeah. the case we see him handling in the beginning is another just ad- adultery is kind of his bread Pretty and cool mirror yeah. shot. Yeah, I'm not sure how they got that straight on without shooting right into the lens. I guess it, the the angle of the mirror would have to be they just they just rotated it CG. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well done, Brian. <laughs> just tracked it in. This, I, I'm trying to figure out where this is because this is by the sea. I, I I don't think it's Malibu. It almost looks it almost looks like Palos Verdes. So I know it's not, but it looks or maybe yeah, could maybe Ventura yeah, right, no, 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 County Line. Ventura yeah. County Line. Yeah, that's County Line Beach right there, uh, which is just cliffs and rock. I believe well, that's a question I have. Is how much um, how much cheating do they do in terms of geography? Because this, not a lot. Because this whole this whole movie is here's L A. You know, well, let's say for the thirties. This is why I mean. Bear in mind, say, at this point, half of L A. is a desert with a field in right, it. Right, right. But look at the places they do go to. They go to Los Feliz. They go. I mean, and every time they go, the we have to go here to talk to this guy. They actually don't spend much time in Hollywood. Hollywood was no. not existent really at this yeah. point, dude. I mean, yeah. in the thirties, wasn't that when Hollywood studios were all sort of coming together? Well, it's like Chaplin's you area, had par- right? You had Paramount, which was in Hollywood, but you also had Warner Brothers, which was in, was in Burbank, which so was, was, in the, it was in the but valley. It, but it was, but it it was. They were these little oases of buildings in the middle of, of the desert, basically. Yeah. There yeah. was no Hollywood and Highland. There was just you know, it was literally no Kodak theaters. No Kodak. Yeah. Look no. at uh, there's. I believe it's Godfather. Godfather has a shot that's just like on the at the top of Hollywood, just kind of pans around and. You yeah. recognize some buildings that are still there, but they're in the this, the middle of nothing. Otherwise, you know, this is a kind of movie. That's a great time jump right there. Right, it just happens, and then you're you're at, you're at, it's, it's night. Yeah, this is a movie where you get a lot of your clues before you know their clues. And yeah. this right here, uh, the, the, this idea of salt water uh, or fresh water, rather, it, it, it's you, that's going to come up quite a bit. And uh, so a lot of times when you watch this movie, you're in the dark a little bit, but Polanski does a very good job. And I got to say the screenplay does a very good job uh, of of giving you pieces that you aren't sure are pieces. And then they kind of come together on their own. And then you take these coagulated hints of other things and you put them together over a period of time. And 
by the end of it, it's just absolutely devastating once you see what that macro vision of the story is. And this is a gr- another great piece. He pulled out a couple of cheap pocket watches and used them as a this is a timing a device. This is this, this shows you the, the and it never the stops and tells you. Obviously, he doesn't have an as you know scene with anybody to, to yeah. have that conversation with. Yeah, he just does it, and you have to figure you it have out. To figure out. You have to be. You have to be patient with this movie. This re- movie does require some patience, but it's uh, terribly rewarding once you do. For, he, for all those people that aren't watching the movie, he's taking stopwatches. Set in, he's following a guy. He parks his car and walks out. He comes up behind him and puts a stopwatch, a cheap stop, or not a stopwatch, just a little pocket, pocket watch, watch, underneath the wheel of the car. So, the so it runs, and then he can come back to that watch later and, then and we find cut out. To, we just straight cut to the yeah. results. We don't need to see it. Watch. Find out yeah. when yeah. it got smashed so he knows how long the guy that parked uh, there was there. That's a good cut, but that's the kind of thing where the cut is probably written into the script as, as such, and yeah, I think right. it is because I I read the script a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, you know, you say it's a movie that, that requires a lot of patience, but, I mean, we got to say that most movies from that time are, are ones that, comparatively speaking, require a lot of patience right. and a lot of attention. Yeah. Um, because they're not going to, it. you know, back then you went to a movie theater and you sat there and you watched, and the movie expected you to be paying attention. So yeah. it's not going to, well, you know. And that's not, why Star well, Wars actually, came out of nowhere and everyone went like, Ugh! Not always, uh, because back in the day they used to just run movies, and and like in the forties and fifties they ran movies, and oftentimes people would show up halfway into a movie, sit, watch the end, and then watch the beginning part first. Psycho was actually the game changer on that one. Psycho, they actually held sandwich boards outside that said, "Do not come you will, in. You will not be seated. Yeah, yeah, you will the, not be yeah. seated. You must start. You must start when the movie starts. That's what really got people on a clock as far as movies go. But a lot of times people would stay and watch. Maybe the, they'd pay for a ticket. And they could watch a couple of times. You know, they could watch movies back then. Pig and Whistle, something that's Pig, still around. Pig yeah. and Whistle still there. I used to go to. Uh, I used I've to go there, to Pig yeah. and Whistle. It was across the street from a company I used to work at, and they have a. Uh, Really good uh, Scotch eggs. Mm-hmm. They're really good British food, which is apple almost corn, which will come up later. British food is actually simultaneously great and terrifying. Disgusting. I was in England on a documentary they, shoot. Yeah, they have. I had to live off English food for three weeks, and it was horrible. That's the thing. I think American English food, Americanized English food, is be, is the it's the one where we're like, oh, okay, we'll do that, but with salt. Yeah, and then it'll <laughs> we actually won't, we won't boil the meat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like it's like if you actually have mexican food in mexico it's yeah. kind of bland it's not and, and it's not but it's very different from what we consider exactly mexican food yeah. tex-mex is nothing like mexican food no. yeah i like tex-mex i also like taco bell okay echo park now when i say when i say the 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 city is a character it's because a lot of times the places he has to go to to meet people the people belong there right so the neighborhoods that he goes to you know, it's like so. This park is still there. Yeah, this, it's just, you can still go there. This yeah. is by Dodger Stadium. You can still get these rowboats and drive around in them. Uh, they've still got the same fountain. That I was just down in this area a few days ago, and this it, it looks just like this to this day. And it's just funny that they just you might recognize this place from Doctor Horrible. Right. Uh, he spent uh, uh, Captain Hammer's in a little rowboat there. It's also in the new OK Go video where they're doing yeah. like it's stop motion with the guys. I love that you can just kind of quietly see Nicholson's head turning. Yes, yeah. you see what he's actually it doing. Was a, it was a nice. It was a nice tromboning too. It wasn't the standard trombone yeah. where where the foreign focus is dead center. It trombones out to the right so that you can see that that point of view. Yeah. It was a nice subtle camera movement to do that. And tromboning isn't really subtle. It's meant to be noticed, but it it actually he conceals it pretty well there. Yeah. Detective movies are good because a lot of the time you it. Anytime you do a movie where you have a private, de- where your lead is a detective trying to discover something, it really, 
it really helps you out narratively in trying to figure out what your exposition is. And it, it automatically applies a structure to your story yeah. that doesn't otherwise exist. Was that, was that sound a gunshot in the movie, or was that a gunshot in our bedroom? That, that, was, that, that was, was a pan falling pan over in the, the kitchen. kitchen. Oh, Great shot there with the oh. reflection. Like you're seeing, you're seeing what he's seeing through the lens of the camera. So. Hide? And now, now we have we have another red herring moment scene right. where we're still kind of on this wrong track and Giddies is himself. Right. And how this is a thing where, you know, we, we were having a conversation before we started about how you can't observe something without changing it. The act of him doing this mm-hmm. sets into motion a series of events that end really badly for everybody. Here, here we have a moment of we'll put another example of the theme of the movie in the background because somebody out on the street yep. they're they're. Their gasket so, has blown, so their water is overheating and steaming. Yeah, water plays water plays obviously a big role in the plot on a on a direct level, but on a thematic level, you, water is kind of a theme that you keep coming back to. So, anyway. have you guys ever had uh, <laughs> a shave, a, a, like a shave at a barbershop? Yes, uh, yeah. is Floyd, it awesome? It's it, it is, unless you're me, uh, because <laughs> I have the facial hair pattern of a 12 year old Asian boy. Uh, because they just grow in every direction, every which way. And uh, I before we went on a series of pitches for a show we were trying to sell earlier this year. So beforehand, I'm like, my razor bust. I'm like, I'm gonna go get a shave. And we're I thought it was gonna put be the like cream on the brush. And, and, gonna, and they do all that. And we're gonna talk about the politics. And they and they do all that. Except when they got to like my neck area, they're just like, okay. And then they just sort of down a little bit, then up in here because it grows in every direction. And then they, they cut me like a million times. And then like they put the aftershave on and my face hurt and it was splotchy. And it was just like, it was much more romantic of a thought than an actual thing. Uh, you guys were so yeah, all here for the, uh, I only had it on the back of my neck, like at the end of a haircut. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They, it was very nice. It's very nice. But again, here where it's like, it's like cable, it's uh, it's not no. so good. And, they, and it doesn't get as, as like short as like a electric shaver. We're going to, in the release thread for this, go ahead and click over to the forum to, to see these pictures. We had a film noir party. <laughs> at, at this location, so sad. I, and I think that. all you guys were there. Dorkman, were you there? I was not there. No, I didn't make that. Eddie, you didn't. Oh, but you were there in spirit I, because I did the, Eddie, I did when you voice. came in the front door, uh, there's a stairway in front of the front door that takes you up into the living room area. Uh, when you came into the front door and you're taking off your shoes in front of the stairway, I had a fog machine down there that made the entire apartment foggy. But down there, it was really foggy. And there was a graphic of a of a newspaper spinning into frame, and it was a custom made newspaper. And over that, I made a little waveform file. That was some sort of like maybe this trumpet score type thing with Eddie doing a narration. So the first thing you experience when you come into the party is going to laboratories, 9 p.m. You know, the rain and doing this whole thing. So Eddie was <laughs> Eddie was there in voice. I was there in voice. I, I haunted the, uh, the 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 Quinkle Labs. Check out the pictures. It was a cool party. This is a great introduction to, uh, and this is a, a thing that's been done before. It the just guy goes on like, and on. He I know. keeps <laughs> telling the joke. It's endurance. And she's like, he's going to talk about Chinese people screwing, isn't he? Just over and over again. It's actually a shaggy dog story. <laughs> <laughs> that was almost like the Joker right there. Like his, his yeah, the laugh. yeah, the it, laugh. That's when you see it. You're like, whoa. I wonder if Tim Burton watched that and goes, aha, that's my guy. <laughs> Even though I, I generally don't like Nicholson's joker uh for a lot of reasons oh yeah i know i know i know i just got some looks i just got some looks we can talk about that when we do batman eventually but um but yeah here um yeah what can you say about faye dunaway you could say that she's gorgeous but she was she weird. was really uh, i i mean what was it after her she was one of the last like kind of classical starlet type yeah. you know that the classical look of just raquel welch yeah, it, well, you can put her up next to like Greta Garbo and yeah. like in a black and white photo, and they and, you know, like they belong. Together, yeah, they you know? they belong from the same like era. that Gloria Swanson sort of. Yeah, look, you know that. which is why she makes perfect sense in this movie, yes. definitely. Because it's all the more devastating when you have like this picturesque, 
uh, porcelain doll person, and you have this horrible, horrible secret underneath. Yeah. That's not her fault. It's not reflective of her character. It's just like the the grime that you know that's that's on her. And obviously now we get a reveal that she's the actual Ms. Mulray and that uh, obviously came up to talk that, to him yeah, was was, was, a, was a plan. And Gettys has been set up and for some, set for up some for reason we don't know why. Another thing, and there's, I was a, getting sued. there's a, a lot of nice little touches to uh, a piece of direction. <clears throat> Actually, that Trey gave a lot during Moby Dick was that you always want to give this. A <laughs> oh wait, hold on, let's unpack this. <laughs> We're talking about Chinatown. Yeah, yeah. We're making parallel yeah. to Moby Dick 2010. Yes. Okay, that's all. I just want to it, make that clear. It's uh the direction to, to make sure that when you jump into a scene, it looks like you're not, these people aren't just like, oh, and the scene has started, so now we will play the scene. That there's actually a life that existed that you're coming into the middle of. Show up late, and, leave early. Yeah. yeah. And that there's a that there is a life and an existence and a universe beyond just where the camera is happening to be pointing at a given moment. And it's a very small point that we've now passed, but just the fact when she goes to leave... At the beginning of the scene, Jack Nichols would be like hey, to his secretary, "Hey, go, go, leave. I have to tell a dirty joke. Go, leave yeah. somewhere." Yeah. And at the end, you see uh, Faye Dunaway leave, leave, and you see her out in the hallway, just uh-huh. standing there, like "Fucking God, can't yeah. go back to work yet." <laughs> and just very little touches. There's a lot of little it's touches all in, over. Yeah. There's a uh, um, a lot of times with like student films or first time filmmakers or people you know experimenting with film for the first time, you know you notice a lot that they. Oh, like the scene has started. This person shows up. Right. Now this person shows up. Then they go up and they shake hands and they start the conversation. Then they get to the point where it's the shit we care about. Yeah. And, you know, um, it's not just editing. Like, I mean, a lot of times they don't shoot those setups in professional movies because you well, that, don't well, need that's to. A, that's yeah. a piece of direction is yeah. you want to make, as the director and as the actor, you want to make sure you've thought about what right. have I been, what was I doing right before the camera happens to be here? Right. This is good here. Um, the, the, oh okay you, you know, <laughs> that's all okay thank I, you ladies and gentlemen this has been down no, yeah uh, i should i i, I do want to say i mean we kind of uh skipped over it and had nothing to talk about for a second in the barbershop scene but it is actually worth pointing out also you know uh just just the fact that that showed up on the front page of the newspaper it's like yeah. we complain now it's like oh fucking tmz but it's like no but that's always, always. been a thing especially in la well, with, regard, it, with regards to the barbershop scene uh uh, one one piece of advice specifically that I remember from the screenwriting class with regards to this movie. Also, to be to to note it, it makes you read that. He doesn't say it out loud. It just makes you read it yeah. right. to understand what's going on. He doesn't go Tuesday night. At Tuesday night. I wonder, I wonder what, what that, that is. Um, and there is the former president of the uh, of the Screen Actors Guild. Ah, very nice. And also Kit from Knight Rider, and also from Magnum PI. No, that's uh, not Kit. Not a, that totally is good. It's the voice of Kit. No, voice it's kid. not. That's because that's Mr. Feeney, and that is not Mr. Feeney. Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World. Yes, that's the voice of Kit, and that's not him, is it? No, that's not him. <laughs> that's him. It's, it's not him. Fun. I swear to God, it's not him. IMDb. All right, I'm gonna do, All right. Well, let's do this. If only we had a computer with an arm's reach. Okay. Apple products. Anyway, can, Eddie and anyway, continue talking. Out. Anyway, about the barbershop scene, one piece of advice in the screenwriting class that we got was, uh, uh, when your character. It's it's always better to have uh, another character talk about uh, a character. Let me let me phrase this better. <laughs> Brian, how do you feel about? Uh, it's better for as opposed to me saying I feel this this is my spine and this is the absolute essence of my character. It's better for somebody else to come along and say you're only concerned with how people look at you or, or basically speak the truth of what my character is have someone else tell them what they are exactly as opposed to having the, that character itself speak that truth because that's well it's an as you know scene if that happens no so it's, it's, it's on the nose 
it's on the nose. On the it's, nose, it's but the not problem. Nose, you know, yeah. And it's very, re- it's not very realistic. How many times in your life do you go, this is exactly who I am and what my dreams are right. and what my deep desires are? Have you guys solved your Mr. Feeney problem? It's not William Daniels. It's not William Daniels. My bad. Oh, who is, who my is bad. also... Uh, Dorkman uh, will school you with Thomas mid-90s Jefferson. Disney television. Yeah, exactly. Looked, to be fair, he does, it does look, look a lot like him. Looks a lot like it William looks a lot Daniels. like him. He is somebody else, though. I can't remember who he is, but God damn it. The other... Uh, <laughs> you and, this right and Anyway, the, uh-huh. the point being, when somebody hits close to the mark on, on a piece of truth that you're might be uncomfortable for your character the way to show that they've hit the mark closer than might be comfortable is to have them get upset and that's exactly what happens to giddies and jack nicholson in that scene somebody says oh you're not respectable the spine of jack nicholson's character is he wants to be respected he doesn't want to get out of the chair and, start yelling at his face. and he's like right. we'll, we'll fucking fight right now you want to go outside and we'll fight and so that's a good example. Well, of that's that. also a good example of him living into exactly what the guy said. And, and you know, he, he gets out of his because we know he's used to be a police detective. He gets out of the police force for a reason. You know, right. he gets out of it for a reason. And even though, yeah, he's he's doing private detective work that's you know mostly about uh, you know dirty laundry. He he strives for something more, and yet this is you know really it keeps it does literally keep pulling him back in because. This is where he is. You know, it's just anything, anytime he can't escape it because whether that's part of who he is and he's drawn to this stuff or whether or not it just keeps coming to him, that's, you know, that's where like his sort of arc for the movie is. It's really amazing how much you can make something feel like a period piece by having everyone wear hats and drive old cars. Yep. <laughs> yep. Really. <laughs> that actually was basically the reason the film Noir Party worked. <laughs> <laughs> Minus the cars. Uh, a go hey, with green guy. eyes. Yeah, yeah. He, you will notice him from uh, Big Trouble in Little China, yeah. as well as ninety other films. Which I think I, I don't know, but I might have spotted him when I was doing census work. Either that, or I'm just racist. <laughs> uh, he might be dead. So I think no, you're he's not dead. A racist ghost. Hunter. He can't be dead. I don't know. I don't think he's dead. He's too awesome to die. Oh no, the other gentleman from uh, Big Trouble in Little China, the guy who played uh, the guy in the beginning, the guy who played Kurt Russell's mentor, he's dead. He died mm. like four years ago. So, any talk about the themes and reason for film noir in the first place and how that came about? A lot of movies. I mean, once yeah, he, we he's not dead. Once we figured out that you could edit a movie so it didn't have to just be you know people working on a train uh, or you know sunsets or you know, once we started making films. Um, a lot of it was very lighthearted, at least here in America. Um, Russia, they were doing some other stuff. Water uh, again, water, of course, and this is important. This, this, well, this will play this, a very important part This later specific on. little lagoon obviously comes up later. Yeah. If you've seen the film like you have, then you don't need us telling you, but obviously this is a big thing. And uh, But not only that, but this guy here, uh, the pool man, what he does, and I love this handheld over the shoulder. Yeah. 70s film, filmmaking, especially in America, we really started like getting used to putting the 16 or the 35 on the shoulder. And well, the reasoning for this one uh, was that Roman Polanski, I think it was, uh, wanted this scene to feel like the audience is learning with... Yeah. 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 I mean, he had a narration that they cut, which would be, have been very Dashiell Hammett to have a, a yeah. narration. Yeah. Um, but but quite a few times, whenever he's getting clues, like when he was up on the roof taking the pictures that got in the paper waiting, and everything, it's handheld yeah. and you're over the... So every yeah, time Including he's the climactic around, scene in Chinatown. Exactly. Yeah. Very handheld. You, you feel to it. To the point where you can see the camera guy got jostled a bit. Yeah. And the... The framing goes wonky for a second. Yeah. Right. Uh, another another aspect is the fact that this is told entirely from Giddy's point of view. Yeah. There's yeah. No We're scene, never ahead of him. Where, there's no scene that Giddy's is not in. Mm-hmm. There's no points like when he gets hit and knocked unconscious later in the film. The film fades out and then it fades, fades in right when he wakes in. up. Yeah. Yep. Uh, 
going back to what I was saying further. Chinatown is 24. Yeah. <laughs> the, it, it is in a sense. I mean, yeah. uh, it is never shit. So you back can definitely to, see a, ve- a very uh, a straight a line between line, them. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to what Eddie was saying about, you know, the process of editing and us as people figuring our abilities to tell stories that way is like, that's a big thing with parallel action is, okay, we'll tell this guy's story for a while then we'll and we'll jump over to this other guy's story and, and then, then we'll jump back. And then we'll eventually meet. And yeah. then we'll eventually, we'll eventually point it. But no, we're... And that's, we're a, that's how you do... That's how you... Honestly, that's how you save your ass in editing a lot of sure. times is because you can cover up holes and jump over time and whatnot. You, it, and it, the it, fact it, that you it, could tell a story that it's, that this is this complex and this well-paced right. without being able to rely on parallel action at all is right. quite an accomplishment. Um, Film noir. Yeah. Origins. The, the, um, the, I mean, there's no clear-cut origin to it, but you, you see trends. You see people kind of coming up with the same ideas at the same time. But film, a lot, especially in the... Uh, the 1910s, the 1920s, the 30s, you had you had dramas, but everything sort of had a, rede- a redeeming quality to it, or it was just entertainment where it was it was very... And that's not to say there wasn't deep films back then. There absolutely were. But they were sort of the classical Campbell-type stories. They were, you know, like very, very sort of typical, uh, at least here in America. Again, uh, you know, you, you had some stuff going on in Russia where they were doing some other stuff. France was a little bit ahead of us in some respects. Uh, but as far as moral ambiguity... Uh, you started having as as there were more films, there were more filmmakers, and therefore there were more filmmakers with more diverse backgrounds who didn't necessarily come from upper rich you know backgrounds. You you had people coming in saying more interested in darker stories where the protagonist isn't always innocent or clear, and you just saw it wasn't anything conscious. You just saw a lot of influx of directors experimenting with uh, darker stories by nature. We just uh, we just passed another very very important yeah. moment. Uh, I, I think it's Polanski uh, who says in some of the behind the scenes that about a moment later on whereas like for a big revelation or for anything where a character does something they can't just give it up right it has to be a fight to get that piece of information out or that action out of somebody and we had the he's talking about later on which is my mother my or my daughter my sister yeah. my daughter my sister and we see the reverse of that moment here when he's trying to like he's coming to her to say listen i just want to clear my name i got used you know and i wanted to clear this up and move on and she basically says okay i'm dropping the thing i'm dropping the lawsuit I'll drop the lawsuit let's move on yeah let's never talk about it again yeah and that makes him go wait a wait, wait what no no uh, this is too easy yeah what's going on here? that was this was also and the conversation is, where he said la is a small town and, this and, is also, right. and this that's, is also and that's the moment that that's i mean yeah. that's really the inciting moment where he says okay this this small like love affair that I'm used to, kind of dirty laundry thing that I'm in. There's something else going on. I'm going right. to move past that and right. really it's, dive it's, into what's actually going on. Yeah, that small little bit where it's too easy, where there's almost where there's no conflict, right? Is actually the is what launches incident. the rest of the conflict for the rest. Yeah, because he's like, wait a second. Yeah, it's never that easy. Yeah, but also something else get, is happening. And, and getting information from her, uh, Bob Town does a thing there where he kind of does a recap for the audience. He says, "Okay, lady, pretend you're me. Someone comes, some trashy broad, pardon the language, comes in and says this to me. And so that's a recap for the audience to get us to that point. Mm-hmm. So that basically refreshes everything we've seen up until the moment she says, "Okay, I love this. Well, by I the was way. here. This yeah, is this just is so right. smooth. Is this the reservoir up on the five on the way to the fourteen? Uh, yeah, when you can- drive up the five, there's like a waterfall. Yeah, this is this is this is on the way to Canyon Country. Yeah, this is where we were diverting water. We drive past this every from. time we go to Besca's Rock. So yeah. earlier on, he talked to uh, the Yell Burton, as- right associate right. chief yeah. engineer, or whatever Yell Burton. Said, "Hey, can I grab a couple of business cards just in case I need to call you again?" Yeah, yeah, sure. And then he Here pretends to be <laughs> the Yell Burton guy to get onto the crime scene by flashing one. By the flashing cards, yeah. the business. Oh, card. life before photo so ID. Smooth. Yeah, so smooth. Life before you know. 
camera phones. That's the interesting thing. You know, telling a story like this becomes much more difficult. Oh, those are the bathing suits then. Or, <laughs> yeah. Um, but belts, the kids don't like a little belt, yeah. But um, uh, Mr. We're cold. Not yeah. quite as good as the uh, bathing suits in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah. yeah. But but and stories, the striped changing rooms. Stories like this become much more difficult. Uh, the more connected, more connected and the more we are, yeah. able we are to communicate. A lot of a lot of the types of movies that we have, you know, horror movies in a lot of senses. The first thing they have to do is get rid of the cell phones. Yeah, exactly. Um, so a movie like this becomes much more difficult because it's like, well, he could just pick up a phone and call someone now. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, well, you well, because so much of movies and storytelling is is miscommunication is miscommunication yeah. and, and pieces and layers of information coming out at staggered moments yeah. and it's like now that we can have all this information all the time at every moment you can't you can't get that process of discovering these right. these things like you would have to do you want a little little trip somewhere in this world in this year oh we're also talking indiana, about indiana jones is <laughs> doing his thing in cairo right yeah <laughs> The, you know, there was a, I forget the director who made Run, Lola, Run. That came out in like 99. Lola, Rent. Lola, Rent. Uh, came out in 99, 2000. Uh, he basically said, yeah, cell phones don't exist in this world. Just that, just Fuck by it. and large. Fuck cell phone, we, we'll do it live. <laughs> exactly. We'll do, cell phones do not exist here. Because that movie would not work if there was a no, cell absolutely. phone. Uh, John August, uh, who writes a screenwriting blog that is well worth uh, reading, um, even if you're not necessarily a fan of some of the things he did, like... Char- Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the new hey, one. Blank Snyder like wrote Blank Check. Yes, he did, and I have things not, to say about and that. You're not too. a fan either. Oh my! Um, but but oh my. but John August, oh you know, he's got good things to say, and I think he is actually a pretty good writer. I know some of his movies, people have differing opinions on him, but I'm like, well, he's pretty good. Um, but uh, he wrote a movie called uh, Go. That was one of his first ones that he mm-hmm. talks I about. Liked Go quite a bit. He's, and he talks about. Um, he's done a blog post or two about uh, Go could not have go wouldn't work today because it relies so much on people not being able to get a hold of right. each other yeah. people had pagers and stuff like that and that's in there but if everyone had had a cell phone i go wouldn't have worked right but you know in the age of all this new electronic stuff we get new noirish mysteries the, ma- sure. the matrix eagle eye the matrix eagle let's eye let's not talk about eagle eye on the uh, podcast. but but other one uh brick is a good one they got I around that brick. they got around that by it. having it be kids yeah you know so i love i love brick for something fierce and i think that's a, 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 a brick very great, good great, great uh noir film uh, uh, i did not like brick at all we again we passed it but where he's at the uh at the crime scene talking to his old partner who's now a lieutenant lieutenant escobar in the forest, they talk about his past in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Another piece of screenwriting advice that applies, it's actually William Goldman, I think, uh, talking about Casablanca, about how these days, and I think we've talked Faye about Dunaway it before. Faye Dunaway is a vampire. Whenever she opens her mouth, it's <laughs> 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 like a playground in there. She's a Blade Two vampire with the Ooh. chin that splits Oh, over. my God. Uh, we've talked about before how a lot of times writers feel, or whoever feels the need to have their their characters explain their entire backstory and why they're so angsty right and how it's so much more badass if like humphrey bogart and casablanca it just doesn't talk about it Uh like no i refuse to talk about it yeah and it's another great example here where giddy's jack nicholson never talks about what action we never find out what exactly happened to him in chinatown right other than the thematic element of i tried to help somebody and i ended up hurting them yeah that's it we don't know any we don't need to hear him tell this entire long involved yeah. story about this woman he, he doesn't have blah, to blah, blah, get blah. drunk and pour himself a whiskey and fucking yeah, yeah. this started when robert town uh was approached by polanski to he polanski said i'll give you 175 grand i think to write the great gatsby yeah it was and, born uh, out of the gay cat great and, gatsby. and town said um no because i can't 
beat The Great Gatsby. Well, I mean, twenty five grand to write my own movie, and right. the kernel of the original idea was an exchange that he had overheard uh, between a cop and someone else, uh, where the exchange yeah. the exchange was. Uh, what do you do in Chinatown? And the cop said, as little as possible. Mm. Yeah. And that's where the whole movie, that's like the usual suspects. It's like, well, there's a whole movie in that. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> well, and that's weird because we, we're not ever really in Chinatown until the very end of right. this movie. Chinatown is more, it's less about the location, what's in it. Chinatown, it's more of just an ideal. Where that's is it. Chinatown? Chinatown I've, I've, been, I've been in Asian towns. Okay, I just the, La- which one the, is Los Angel- the Los Angeles Chinatown is uh, south of here, southeast of here. Basically, if you go... Uh, is that like second in Alameda, that kind of place? No, well, it, more like... Uh, First, you can find it. Just keep yeah, taking just, the 101, and there will be a Chinatown exit. Yeah, nowadays. And, and, yeah, exactly. Or you can take the five south of the 110, and you're literally right there. What's interesting about the Los Angeles Chinatown is that the very first kung fu school Bruce Lee owned and operated was in the Los Angeles mm-hmm. Chinatown. Interesting. And uh, it's called Boxer Rebellion. It's still there to this day. So. Cool. All, that's rebellion. a funny that's thing awesome. about LA that I didn't really know because <laughs> people always talk about places like Chinatown, and I just thought that was like a like a colloquialism for the places. No, my parents like Tribeca or something. But no, there's Filipino town. Yeah, yeah. Korea town, town. Czech town. little Armenia town. My uh, my parents first. I think date. it's just a little Armenia. My parents' first date All was right. in, uh, the Rocketeer blew up the yeah. town part. No, it's, 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 it's no, no, it's Glendale because uh, <laughs> I went to school in Glendale, and believe me, Barev Levis to all my uh, Broheims out there. Uh, no, uh, my parents' first date was in Chinatown. It was at the Hop Louis restaurant in the L.A. Chinatown, and That's I Hop Louis. Hop Louis. It's a great little dim sum place. Yeah, it's a good thing they didn't forget about it. No, they did not. <laughs> I re- I already beat the joke. A lot of a lot of of uh, uh, what what makes it feel like the uh, you know 30s and 40s is also the shooting style, which we haven't talked about much. But a lot of master shots, not a lot of you know intercutting. Of, like, everything's locked like off. Yeah. Not necessarily oneers, but just yeah. long with a couple little intercuts here. And yeah, there. a lot of a lot of blocking within the frame yeah. as opposed to cutting around which which of course lasted a good deal longer than that and in the 70s they were still doing that but yeah. but th- this this feels like more of a throwback than a lot of other 70s it, it's a carryover from, from stage days when, when yeah. a lot of early cinematography you know what was they like, say never trust a skinny mortician <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wait what uh they uh we're, n- we're getting another important piece yeah. of information here about the how he drowns he had saltwater lungs in him but they found him in a dry riverbed so right yeah right. piece by piece and that can and so when I talk about clues clumping together, we get that clue with earlier on when he's observing them, and we get that sudden burst of water coming out. That's another clue that's kind of clumping together, and we're going to get these little clusters of clues that belong together, but we don't know how they all fit together. And that's a, a great mystery should do that. Uh, yeah, you know, Agatha Christie as a writer did a lot of that. You kind of got that with uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle as well in the. In the and the Sherlock Holmes stuff, you get little clusters of clues that kind of come together over time. Dashiell Hammond had a different process as well. His was more, his was you know you got that, but his was a little more straight, a little more linear in how like the clues came together. And the thing is, I mean, a, I think a good mystery, especially a mystery film, as opposed to a book, like you get away with a little bit more because Sherlock Holmes actually you didn't. Most of the time, you don't find out the clues until Sherlock has explained to you how he's already come to the right, conclusion, right. and then he explains right. how he got there. And it's very innocuous; you don't know yeah, it's, it's like not, there at all. Yeah. Well, it, and and it's not it's not like a movie. It's like it's not like you saw the frame and you just didn't pick up on details that he then points out. It's right. like it's it's a book, and he exp- says it, and then he's like, "Oh, you've got dirt on your shoe," and you blah 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 blah. And I'm like, and the reader's how? like, "What?" The readers, well, yeah. the reader just has to accept it because everyone's right. like, "Oh, well, of course." And once you say it, it's obvious, and so right. it's obviously there, but. But it's not something that you, as a reader, could but have figured out with Sherlock. there was like the beginning of a paragraph two chapters ago that's right. a man. Yeah, exactly, shows. exactly. Whereas, <laughs> um, whereas you know, a, a 
good movie like this, it's like it'll usual suspects it. The the yeah the the audience has all of the pieces to put together the answer. Right. They just don't realize it until someone puts it together for them. I should and then now uh, nowadays they'll often do the uh, the flashback to seeing yeah. all of those bits <laughs> now to be like oh right actually I, all of that. I should revise because what I just said is almost exactly what you were saying. Unusual well sorry this is a usual suspect spoiler. Mute your speakers for ten seconds. You don't know any of those facts until the movie shows you the whiteboard right. that he right. was finding all the facts or on. the bottom. So of the you don't cup. actually get really clues in the Usual Suspects at all. We're done with Usual Suspects spoilers. Right. Kevin Spacey did it. But yeah, that's it's yeah. We're done with Usual Suspects spoilers for those of you with your speakers muted. <laughs> hey, I said ten seconds. Now you know. You know it's now funny how, how many movies Kevin Spacey is the he did it guy at the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> that was his, his bread and butter for a little bit, certainly. Between Seven and Usual Suspects, which came out roughly the same year. We're coming up on the uh, the famous uh, Polanski's cameo. cameo and yeah. he actually does a really good cameo. Yeah. He has a very thick French accent. Yeah. And, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's also in Rush Hour 3. Roman Polanski? Yeah. Why you got to do that? What? He's in Rush Hour 3. He's, the, he's the French constable yeah. or whatever they he's call also, it over there. He al- it's also notable because uh, at this point, the movie makes an interesting decision. Mm-hmm. With regards to how it's going to present its character for the next hour and a half. Yeah, that's yeah. I, the, and it's amazing and amazing, especially today. We it's consider an interesting it a interesting choice. choice. It's a well, very interesting choice. Just to yeah. fuck up your main, uh, <laughs> make him <laughs> ugly for the rest of the yeah. film. Yeah, for those who haven't seen it and are still listening to this, my God, he gonna get his face all cut. I actually, why is Roman I, Polanski comes up and puts a knife in his nose and goes. Yeah. I cuts his nose open. The first time I saw and he wears this, a bandage the whole movie. I was 16 when my dad showed this to me, and, and we were watching this. And I was like, and, and you know, when you're 16, you know, I'd seen Faces of Death by this point. You know, I'd seen like, <laughs> I'd seen some shit. This, but, is this moment, but when I saw this moment, they they play it so real. I for a half second, I was like, he actually fucking cut it. Yeah, like, it's a it's a good gag. Oh it's yeah, a good good. St- it's like, amazing. But uh, the reason I the reason it works is because you say like they play it. And like we were just talking about with the shooting, they just play it in a master shot. They push him up against the fence, yeah. and they interrogate they him for a little it. while. And then suddenly it's like... Whoosh, when it happens, it's sudden. They don't like cut to close-ups of the eyes or beads of sweat or yeah. anything like that. Yeah. There's no dramatic stinging music. Bah, bah, bah. Yeah, it just, not, it, just, it just happens within the shot, and you're like, fuck! And one of the things that makes it really effective is because that happens the way it does, it's like... Fucking shit could happen in any At shot any time. now. Like there's no, there's gonna be no warning for something like that to happen now. And I think that's why they do it. The I mean, way they, yeah. the way they do it is the the blade has a half inch long uh, hinge, little hinge on it, yeah, and it's got a little blood squirter in the handle, yeah. And what's funny is that the hinge only works one way. It's yep. it's a it's not a prop knife. It's a real knife that they fucked with. Yeah. yeah. So if he put it in upside they down, one, they doled one side. Then yeah, he actually would have done it. He would have yeah. cut the shit out of his nose. Yeah. Here's Polanski. With Pol- the Lansky. By the way, if you've ever seen Quantum of Solace, the most recent James Bond movie, I made a joke watching it. I'm like, yeah, I love how the bad guy was literally playing Roman Polanski because he looks and acts just fucking like yep. him. He's this little spazzy guy. Yeah, very and, nosy fellow, kitty cat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Even now, I already get like a little. It's just it's, like, it's such a good uh, guess because you, you have to because you have to guess. And it'll be fine. Uh, and then it's like fuck, man, that just happened. Totally it's works. Like, holy <laughs> shit. Very, very, very realistic. Because a lot of times, though, in a scene like this, a bad guy will threaten, like, oh, or the police will show up. Yeah, and they'll or, like, walk yeah. away or something. But yeah. then it's like, well, bam! You don't, you don't at all see it coming. Roman Plasty is so proud of himself right there. He's like, yeah, yeah. I did that. You see? Yes, I am French and small. I cut and, your face. Ha ha. And Nicholson, I mean Nicholson's level of trust because when you're a director, you're stressed out of your mind the yeah. entire time. Yeah. And as an actor, you have to be very relaxed. <laughs> Low budget, so, like being stressed while it. knowing you have to be relaxed. 
would only make you more stressed out. Well, well he, he's allowed to play a little stressed too, yeah. being the twitchy little French guy. But yeah, low but, budget stunts of the seventies, they they played a little fast and loose with it. Yeah. Uh, particularly the Australian movies. There's a great documentary. I'd forget the name about Australian movies. Not quite this, Hollywood. Not quite Hollywood. I was just recently watching that. Holy shit! They did not give a damn. It reminds <laughs> me of like the Thai movies these days, where yep. apparently. Two hundred thousand bot is the price of a stuntman's life, and you can just do whatever. I just, oh, I just saw uh, the other night. I watched uh, last night. I watched a movie called Power Kids, which is three ninjas okay. meets Ombak. <laughs> and they're throw well, well, uh, like kids are going through plate glass, and it's right. not safety glass. You right. see the way it's putting, <laughs> and it's like uh, or chocolate that chick. Yeah, the, chocolate. The chocolate she, it's amazing. The they're even younger in in Power Kids. I can't though, wait so. And now we're we're revealing a. Uh, Ida Sessions, who played Mrs. Mulray in the first mm-hmm. scene, who was in, in, uh, Mrs. Mulray imposter, is now contacting him and saying, I want to tell you something. But he obviously doesn't know that it's yeah. the same woman yet. But it's, I mean, this is really, I, I got to say, this is really kind of, uh, you know, uh, impressive on Nicholson's part. I mean, we were talking about a bold choice. Shut, to fuck shut up. the fuck up. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> we, we were t- He's on the phone with this lady. I'm the one who played Mrs. Mulray, yeah. remember? Shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> no, them. We were uh, uh, talking about it's a bold choice on the part of the movie, but it's also bold on the part of, you know, Nicholson to be like, I'm going to play it with a giant wad of cotton over my face the, right, for the majority right. of the movie. Okay. Well, this is, it's uh, a good script. Let's do it. He, he, was, he was definitely a notable guy that was around before this, but yeah, this right. was the one that cemented Jack Nicholson as Jack right. Nicholson. Yeah. And we get, you know, and, and a, a staple of noir is like guys who get roughed up, you know, dangerous yeah. dames. You know, you get a lot of women that are really dangerous that you can't trust that you want to either have sex with or punch in the fucking face, yeah. like right in that moment. Like, and that's you, all girls. You, <laughs> you, uh, you get, you, you get these guys that are just, that are just, really beat up like by life and by the bad guy and everything and that's what you know Nicholson really embodies that and I can see why 20 years later he wants to make another Jake Gittes movie when he, when he does when he makes his attempt at the, at the two Jakes I guess it was like 13 years it wasn't quite it was yeah it was, it was like 13 uh, years. 16 it was, it was 1990 after 74 it was 90 so yeah, it was like 89 90 years. something yeah. like that yeah and I, I actually never saw the two Jakes I, I haven't I, seen it I either. should I have another. I feel like I owe it to it has like a I think it has like a 60 on Rotten Tomatoes mm. uh oh I think he I think he did Batman and I think he like leveraged like okay I'll do Batman just let me do two Jakes like because but no that was Warner Brothers so I don't know that's maybe he had the money or the cloud money, or something yeah, yeah. Something. he was insanely huge again after Batman yeah like that was like that was his movie I think he got nominated for an Oscar for that I'm not sure Nicholson I, for Batman I can't remember yeah. really for, yeah. for, for the Batman? Joker yeah. I, I didn't I mean, yeah, I don't know. we'll talk about it eventually. But you know, apparently, that, playing that the Joker just gives you an Oscar. He <laughs> he played the he chewed the scenery with that movie. He like you know, I would see that for a few good men where he chews the scenery in a few good men. I think he did get nominated. He for got nominated well, for that as well. I believe. Yeah, go Nicholson. The other, uh, if you this, if you're this not is the Brown Derby, a very famous. Uh, LA landmark. Brown Derby yeah. is still there. It, most popularly seen in Swingers, Brown Derby. It's actually in the shape of like a, you know, they've got a giant The restaurant is hat. shaped like a hat. A, a bowler hat, yeah. yeah. Uh, but Brown Derby is still there. The the ending of Swingers, uh, where Heather Graham and John Favreau do their thing, takes place right here. Uh, one of those, actually, they're about three booths over from where the where Vince Vaughn and all of them are sitting. Um, if you're not familiar with uh, classic beautiful actresses, Jean Tierney might have been the most attractive woman that ever lived. Jean, Jean Tierney was very... And she also... Wiki, wiki her, because her story is unbelievably fucked up. But she is As are most stunning. actresses of that day. Yeah. No, she went crazy. 
She, a, she wasn't the one that got drunk and killed herself jumping off the Hollywood sign. No. But similar story. There's a really great, and by great, I mean horribly depressing documentary called, I believe it's called Girl 88. Uh, and it's about a true story about an industry party that was thrown in the lo- like the 30s by MGM. Uh, and so, like 10 girls got gang raped. It was just, it was just, they, they thought they were going to invite like all these girls out to, and like the girls thought it was like a casting type thing, but really it was just a lot of alcohol and a lot of guys raping women. And um, it was just, it, it's look at, I, I know I'm screwing up the title, but it's pretty easy to find. I'm, I'm pointing you in the right direction, dear listener. There's a great interplay. There's a great like, you know, cigarettes are kind of used to like make a point, you mm-hmm. know, like they use the, to, to the drinks in the cigarette. I, I see why people, especially in noir days did it because a it was true to form because everybody smoked and everybody drank B, but it's b, a great prop b it's a great prop it's great you know christine hendrix on mad men, mad men talked about that how like she doesn't smoke but she loves acting with a cigarette because you can make some great you know you can punctuate you can yeah. punctuate and like when you point it just with gives you something and, to and do. then later they use it as a, an example of tension yeah because she lights up another cigarette and she said and he says you've already got one going yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. you're not smoking enough yeah, Nowadays it's like weed. Nowadays, like you see scenes where people smoke weed, and like it adds like that layer to yeah. it that you know. This is this is uh you know they they find ways to keep. Well, first of all, they f- they actually find ways to keep flat out exposition scenes like this to a minimum, right? Um, and when they, you know, because mostly they're able to get it across in a line or two, as opposed to mm-hmm. sitting down and chatting it out. But even when they do, it's it's still very interesting because uh, because. They're not, you know. He knows that she's not telling him something, right? right. And he because she he, always has this this other secrets, right? This layer that's like two layers down from what he yeah. thinks is going on right now. But he can, but he can see that, and he's yeah. like, "What you're saying to me doesn't make sense, and I can't put my finger on why it doesn't make sense, but I know it does." There's something down there. Yeah. yeah. Notice also. The, so he's he's fishing kind of in the dark for something he knows right. is yeah. there. Notice also also the pace with which we're cutting between the two people. We're not like it's not like he says something, then she says something. It's not CNC. We're not, which uh, unfortunately a lot of movies do these days. But we're really hanging, and we'll hang here for a long time on each of the reactions. We'll hear the other person talk off camera. Part of this is because that's just that's just how film noir works. That's how Roman Polanski works. The editor works. But also, you know, I I started editing in school with film like with you know hervic splices and a super eight uh and then like you know on a on a on a flatbed and and then even when i went to video editing it was linear video editing on a sony rm450 board where it's like literally you go in order like this take this take this take and you know certainly non-linear editing the avid final cut pro all these they're great they're convenient they're awesome the problem is is that you start it kind of like makes you. It makes it too easy to cut. Too easy you to cut. cut. And so, yeah. whereas yeah. before, it's not that it's hard to cut, but you really have to think about it. It's like, okay, I am about to make a cut. You have to think and be very deliberate before every single cut. I think every good, time you cut, it has to be for a very specific reason. Right. Good, good editors transcend this. Like Walter Murch loves Final Cut, and he, even though he makes his Final Cut system look exactly like a flatbed, uh, he stands up when he edits. He does all this stuff. He has his he has his board printout that has all the setups. You know, a single a still from there's a documentary about editors that he was in uh yeah it's called uh uh, uh behind the cut uh the magical movie editing it's narrated by kathy bates it's I on have, netflix I, it's on netflix. netflix yeah it i watched a, that one it was a stars production and yeah it's it's with him as and watch it anyway yeah i know netflix has shitty stars things right they're getting that, better they're actually. getting really good getting but that, that one's good it, it actually he's editing cold mountain throughout that entire yeah. thing and you yeah. see his process and you see like a good editor will transcend you see, the technology. And you see him standing up, and everyone sees that, and they're like, I'm going to stand up when I edit, <laughs> right. too, and that lasts a week. I and tried that <laughs> shit, and it does not work. Yeah. Uh, it does not work at all. Please give me my you know, my, my 
high tech chair. Uh, but no, the, you know, you got to think and be deliberate about every cut. And like I was saying, he has his rule of six, which is the six reasons in order you make a cut. The first one, fifty, which is it's weighted. It's fifty one percent of the reason. It's emotion. You've got to keep the emotion consistent. Then after that, you know, it's about setup, and then continuity is like fourth and fifth. Um, but you know, you have to keep the tone and the pace of this going. So, you know, if you're going to be cutting back and forth quickly, which happens in classical film a lot, you know, if you watch Godard or any of the Russian stuff, you see that, that, that quick cutting style a lot. It has to happen for a reason. And I think in a, in a two person conversation, people are far too often. And I've been guilty of this myself of like, okay, this person's talking. I need to cut back. This person's talking. I need to cut back. No, you really don't like consider the default, the single setup and then build from there. Ever seen a scene where it's nothing but reactions. So the other person is always talking off screen. The very ending of the first episode of Top Chef from the first season, they there was a sound. Me- uh, is that because up. they had to do ADR for everything? They had to do ADR for everything. So literally, you hear the ADR of Pat Malachi going, "Whatever, please pack your knives and go." You know, your thing was this; it wasn't this. Please pack your knives and go. It's literally a series of reaction shots, and you never once see anybody talking for about thirty seconds straight. Wow. Nice. Well, there's a the, there's the, a uh, Robert Rodriguez talks about in Rebel Without a Crew. Yeah. Somebody really commented his style of editing, and it was because his sound sync w- was pretty lousy on yeah. set. So he's like, "Well, okay, the you can start to tell that the audio is not matching their mouth anymore. So I now I have to cut." Yeah, and somebody was. Somebody really complimented with the di- the dynamic style of how you edit it. It's yeah. like, uh, it's well, just what people, I had to do. people commented clerks on the, oh, it's black and white. It looks just like security camera footage. Like, no, he didn't know how to fucking use a camera and yeah. he could only afford black and white film. Right. Yeah. Um, the, this, the scene I think of in talking about a scene that's all reaction shots is the uh, introduction of Butch in Pulp Fiction. Hmm. You spend your, yeah. you, you hear Marcellus Wallace off screen, but you're, you're looking at Butch Bruce the entire Wallace time. The entire yeah. time. We're getting into uh, John Huston's character, and we're sort of establishing what who he is. What does Marcellus Wallace look like? I think he looks like a bitch, if I remember yeah. correctly. <laughs> it's been a while since I saw the movie, but I recall something about uh, that. Something about him looking like yeah. a bitch. So. Or no, maybe it was the other way. I, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, just... Does he look like a bitch? I should have said what? <laughs> <laughs> I missed that. I missed say that. Say what again. I missed I the opportunity. You. So anyway, John Houston's character, we're starting to get into him here now. And we're really the first time we see him on screen here is through pictures and through all of these pictures. And so we have this little exposition and the, the, these these exposition scenes are fine because Jake is learning. And we, we go back to that about how we learn at the same rate as Jake. Um, oh right! If this, if if we were, if we knew this stuff and Jake was just catching up, it'd it be would like, be, oh, God, oh. it'd be death. You yeah, know? it'd be like. It would, you know, it wouldn't be an as you know, but it's an as you know to the audience. Yeah, so. yeah. You also, don't, yeah. <laughs> Sup? John Hewson, um directed the Maltese Falcon, so that's kind of his, uh, and you know, he's the father of Angelica Houston. Uh, he is the, that's his sort of connection to the world. It's another. Uh, there's instances where you can sometimes get a director to play a role, and that's like. Actually, you know, like Peter Bogdanovich used to act quite a bit. You know, uh, he was on Sopranos for and a Sydney long time. Pollack. And so, yeah, Sidney Pollock and uh, Bogdanovich as well. They they but they both did plenty of stuff. But uh, you know, Richard Attenborough, Jurassic Richard Park. Attenborough, Jurassic Park. All right, yeah. directors are always great. This, this guy, that's bugging the hell out of me. I know, yeah. I know him from somewhere. Has a director ever shown up in a, like a like a director from some other time come in and be an actor and then not been awesome? Because that's no, even to always even be the Cecil. Case. No, I was uh, just watching Night Shyamalan. Yes. Oh my God! No, 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 no. He said director. Oh, oh, oh sorry, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. just fucking spaz. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, no. Uh, even you know, I was watching Sunset Boulevard last night, and uh, Cecil B. DeMille is in the movie as himself, and he 
fucking acts the shit out of his scenes. Like he's really, really good in those scenes. He he has like such a he has such like a sympathy and like a a, a damaged like love for um for uh, Norma Desmond, and uh, it, it's just interesting to see like him do that back. In the John day. Hillerman is the name of the man. John Hillerman, I don't Yelper. know that name, but I know him. He's been in quite a bit. He was in Blazing Saddles yes. and Last Picture Show. And Last Picture, Last stuff. Picture Show. That's yeah. speaking of uh, speaking of Bogdanovich there. Or no, Last Picture Show was who directed that? Let me see. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know the only reason Sidney Pollack was in Tootsie was because Dustin Hoffman insisted. Bogdanovich, yeah. you're right. Oh, it was Peter Bogdanovich. Okay, cool. Dustin Hoffman's like, I will do this movie for you if you play this. If part. you play my agent, <laughs> and Sidney Pollack's like, oh, fucking fine. And he's great. And he's he's very he's good. He's absolutely great. Um, so yeah, John Huston, uh, African Queen, Treasure Sierra Madre, uh, and um, Maltese Falcon are like his big ones. He also did um, what the hell was the other one? Um, uh, UHF. <laughs> he did not do UHF. No. Um, oh, man, him. who would be king? He did that one, and uh, that's a great. Oh my god, that's a that's a really great classic movie. If you want to see that, but this is a good example of of finding uses for like talent that you consider sort of not to be there anymore. You know, um, it's always it's always, and it's also kind of because he has such like strong connections to like film noir himself. You know, Maltese Falcon is one of the definitive film noir movies. And if you haven't seen it, go see it, or uh, just watch Adam Savage's TED Talk. Adam Savage's TED Talk. I mean, watch Maltese Falcon if for only the reason to see Bogart at his noiry best and also to see Peter Lorre as like the most... Peter Lorre as quintessentially Peter Lorre. P- yeah. When like is, Animaniacs is, does Peter Lorre, that's what that's they're, what they're doing. doing. They're doing... Yeah. That's like a full... That's like 140% Peter Lorre in yeah. that moment. One Goldblum. <laughs> yeah. It's one, It's a one Lorre is, is that. As far as like maniacal, sort of like over the top ethnic... Peter Lorre God. is the actor that Ren kind of is doing. For those that yeah, for those that were born in the eighties, I was born in the seventies, and I I still I still love my Ren and Sippy. I was a teenager at home Friday nights watching Ren and Sippy because that's what I did. Billy West later went on to do a Peter Lorre like character in the animated short film Tofu the Vegan Zombie. I hear that's very well animated. <laughs> did you animate or did you just no? I didn't fucking animate. No, no. So anyway, so we're back. Uh, Chinatown. Chinatown. Forget it, Mike. Ah! We did for a little while. <laughs> so, well, I mean, so now the we're thing, back. The thing about a movie like Chinatown is that it, it actually it opens you up to a lot of discussion of just seemingly unrelated stuff, but it's it kind of it's it's the perfect. But it's just of, set up that comes together later. It's a movie that it does yeah. though. Really, it's, I mean, there's a both, lot of, like we were saying earlier. There's a lot of red herrings and like yeah, false right. avenues that it sets up, and then they all come together to this coherent picture. Yeah. But in terms of style and sensibility, it's one of the few films that's of two times at once. It is very yeah. much a '70s movie. It is very much a '30s movie. Yeah. It is very much both of those things at once. Yeah. And it manages you know? to do both very well. How do you define a '70s movie? Well, when I talk about a America- lot, a lot of cocaine, yeah, <laughs> a lot of cocaine. When I talk about, when I talk about, you know, something. It's funny when we were talking about like film noir and what movies like that were doing. It was, you know, we go through ebbs and flows of like our our taste as a culture and as an American movie viewing culture. And the seventies and the thirties kind of have some things in common in the sense that in the thirties and the late thirties we were trying to experiment with darker themes. Treasure Sierra Madre, especially. That's that's a piece of literature that goes back a little bit, but. It, it's it's a it's a very dark story. Like there's no clear cut hero. You know, we get very we get into anti heroes during that point. Um, a lot of you know, shadow of a doubt. Our hero is technically Charlie, the 14 year old girl, but Charlie, the the dashing man that we're introduced to, he's he's not good at all. He's literally a murderer. And so in the 70s, we're coming off of the late 60s. You know, we're here we coming- go. Here we we have the moment where 
she's lighting two yeah. cigarettes because she's so she's flustered so nervous about talking about her father. And she's always been very much in control up until this point, and you kind of see her out of control and like you're really this is when you, this scene is actually when things really start to unravel and things really start to open up and we're realizing just kind of how deep some of this stuff runs where they're talking about how hollis her husband and noah cross her father were her husband her partners. father her husband her, her father. husband her father both of them spoiler geez were working together and they were business partners and they were very close and then they had a falling out for some reason that wonder we why that was seriously uh, did they have braces in the 70s sure what yeah. Yeah, they had braces in the seventies. Yeah. Yeah. They had braces. Was Faye Dunaway rich <laughs> in the seventies? How you can't you can't be a movie star with braces. Right, it's easier to be out. a movie star with fucked up teeth than with braces. But you're you're more likely to knock all your teeth Tom out. Tom Cruise and put had in braces for a while there to fix his smile. Yeah, I did. Two thousand three, I think. Yeah, he yeah. did. He did have braces in there. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Um, but they, but now they have braces that can go behind your teeth. So those you suck, by the way. Like I know people who have those, and they they absolutely hate it. Yeah, um, I got one of those bar things in my lower teeth. No, but uh, to, to answer your I question, coming coming out like halfway through the sixties, and Mad Men does a really good job of like explaining that time period of, of like Catalina Island. By the Catalina, way, Catalina. Yep. This is uh, you know Step Brothers was like the last movie I saw that actually referenced Catalina. <laughs> or I still have yet go to there. go. It's amazing. It's is really it? really cool. You can take yeah. helicopter rides there. There's buffalo. There's you know jet skiing. It's a lot of cool stuff there. Uh, Courtney Love lives there, and you can. Oh, she does. Those she, yeah. No, I just made that up. Oh, you were just talking about things. <laughs> I, you can, she, I, I was looking at the wildlife. You were just talking about things you can ride <laughs> at Catalina Island. Then I was, <laughs> uh, yes, uh, but no. There's a uh, you know coming off of the sixties. I want like, a Woody. There's a lot of movies in the sixties that were still sort of hanging on to that big Hollywood studio system sensibility as far as movies go, and they were all starting to fail. And audiences had taste for stuff that was a little darker. Like so, that's when Rosemary's Baby, like movies like Rosemary's Baby, started. That's when, along. well, that's when that's independent films and... started to become a. Thing. Well, you had you had people actually graduating from film school. You had the yeah. you had film schools turning out their first round of graduates, and that's when you had like the Zoetrope Crew, which, if you're unfamiliar, American Zoetrope was the company, basically a group of friends from San Francisco who went to film school in L.A. Francis Ford Coppola, John Milius, George Lucas. You had all like you know. There's a documentary called Fog City Mavericks about that group of filmmakers in that time. And their sensibility. You had guys like that. You had a lot of foreign directors coming to America, like uh, 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 like uh, our gentleman here. Who? Why can't I remember? There's a very good book. Anyway, uh, Polanski, uh, Roman Polanski. There's a very good book called um, uh, "What Happens Next: yeah. A History of Screenwriting." Right. Um, and that one talks about Zoetrope, and it talks about right. the development of stuff like Easy Rider, and just just like you were talking about, kind of how how the sensibilities change over right. time and what the audiences start responding to and stuff like that. There, there's answers I could give. I would direct, there's a documentary and a book called Easy Riders Raging Bulls, which is about 70s filmmaking. And then, in my opinion, the better one is a multi-series documentary directed by the late uh, Jonathan, or the late Ted Demi, uh, called uh, A Decade Under the Influence. And it's all about 70s filmmaking in America. And you get all the all the great ones like and that that movie has anybody who's in a movie in the 70s appears in that documentary talking about it talking about uh you know uh coming home talking about godfather talking about uh this movie talking about you know all these great movies of the 70s you know uh, uh butch and sundance all and all these filmmakers and where they're at and why they were doing it as an aside my fate like another good one z channel which talks about the legendary Los Angeles cable channel, the Z channel, which played nothing but movies like this and why those movies are necessary. I'd highly recommend all of those. There, it's it's also, I mean, um, I read a, uh, I don't think it was Campbell, but it was one of the his, the offshoots of Campbell. I think it was Christopher Vogler, The Writer's Journey. Um, and he talks about at one point, like over in Germany, 
you know, the hero's journey is not a per- is, no, yeah. is not a thing because they're not big on heroes right, right. now. They're not big on the Ubermensch and stuff like that. They're a little burned off, <laughs> right, right, burned right. on that kind of idea. <laughs> they, they took that too too far. Yeah, they, so so they're like, we don't want those kind of movies, and so that you don't see that coming out of Germany. You don't, see, you know, that's not the way they do things. And I think you know, like you were talking about, you know, uh, the seventies were come were coming out of you know vietnam and stuff like that and people were disillusioned and people were looking at a lot of uh you know the darker side of things and and just struggling with that that element of of you know the culture that that line there you think you know what you're dealing with but believe me you don't john houston like i wish he would have acted more at a younger age because uh he's just maniacal in this even (laughs) even right now we think he's on his side even right now he's i mean he's saying like please don't take advantage of my daughter and all this other stuff and please be very careful we we want to think of him as a good guy but there's this tiny edge of just sinister underneath the surface with him and everything he does sit down yeah that and that that accent that sort of affected voice he does it's so good for that character. I want to do this now because it's time, oh, and, and we have a we have a lull before the next cool thing happens. What is a movie that is regarded as a classic that everyone's supposed to like that you guys don't like? Oh, Brian, mm-hmm. anything come to mind? I know they're out there, but I can't um, quite think of anything. We all say we're not huge fans of Godfather. Uh, yeah, screw that. I am. Oh, yeah. oh, no. yeah. Well, Godfather underwhelmed me when I finally saw it only a few months ago. Uh, I have to give that some thought, I guess. I guess I guess off the top of my head I would say Godfather, but I'm I don't know if there are other ones. Blade Runner too. Blade Runner. Okay. Not same same Blade with Runner. me. Well, I mean that's 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 movie, that movie's got its own Godfather, well. Blade Runner and Taxi Driver, the three that came to mind. For I haven't me. seen Taxi Driver. Oh, yet, oh, so. um we just Easy Rider. Okay. All right. Uh, Cuz we just uh, Chloe and I w- watched Easy Rider one night not too long ago and we we're amazed that this this was and again, it's another one of those things. Right. We're looking at it from 2009 or 2010 right. or whatever it was, and I'm sure vastly different looking at it from the 60s. But uh, yeah, wow. Well, since since everybody else said like a 70s film, I would say uh, Raging Bull I'm actually not that into. Mm. Um, and I, I, under, I understand its merits. I understand why it's so good. Great. I, I just it, it, For whatever reason, that didn't click with me. But if we're talking classic and we want to really go back, um, I would have to say... Um, I guess the the point of the question is doesn't live up to its classic status, right? No, and I'm trying I'm trying to think of like a good older example. I'm, for instance, of Brian hates of, Citizen Kane. Uh, you like Citizen I Kane? I like you Citizen Kane. Fine. Lives, yeah. I don't think it's the single greatest film ever made. I'm trying to propagate a yes, rumor about Brian over the course yeah, of no. two years with the podcast. I don't. Uh, I I don't disagree. People I remember think. the lies. Remember how political campaigns work? Right. No. They remember the lie. And the, and the more you debunk it, the more they remember it. Um. I feel the same way about Citizen Kane. I like it, but I'm like, really? That one? Uh, I see how yeah, it's... It's, a- like, it's great. It's like all-time top 50, to be sure. Yeah, I absolutely one. see how it's ahead of its time, too. Yeah, I think but- there's been better movies since Citizen Kane. Yeah. No, no doubt. But you, you- my, my issue with Citizen Kane is Orson Welles didn't feel that was his best movie. Right. Yeah. When, right. Or, when the filmmaker doesn't think that's... Magnus his- and Ambersons, yeah. When the, when the filmmaker doesn't think that's their best movie, how can you then consider that the best movie of all? I don't know that well, that's true. I mean, Empire Strikes Empire Back. Strikes yeah, back. Yeah, <laughs> Lucas thinks that's but Empire Strikes Back isn't Lucas's film. Yeah. He well, thinks man. it is. Well, well, George Lucas is wrong about a lot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I would say, um, God, I'm trying to think. There, there is Orson Welles was drunk and selling cheese or something, <laughs> uh, you know, towards the end. So there yeah, is a true. there is rosebuds, uh, frozen peas. <laughs> there is a Full specific of country goodness and green penis. Yeah, honestly, like I, I like Breathless for what it is, but another I great scene of um, just Jack Nicholson being a badass. Right. I, I like Breathless, but I don't think it's it's the uh, I don't think it's the definitive 
French New Wave movie. Mm. You know, I prefer, and and that really goes for Godard by and large. I prefer Jacques Tati, like the stuff he did. Jacques Tati had like such a whimsical nature to him, and Godard had very strong influence over fucking everybody. So if you have a favorite filmmaker, chances are they've been influenced by Godard. But I, I just for whatever reason, Breathless, and I love Jean Paul Belmondo. I think he's a fantastic actor. And and she and, I, and Jean, I forget her name. She's really great too. But as a movie, there's just a lot that didn't click for me. Uh, same thing with Four Hundred Blows, like that Truffaut movie. Well, like it, yeah, know. Breathless was a kind of thing where it's it, it's bigger because it was so experimental and, inf- and really, influential. influential. Yeah, no, yeah, as a movie itself, I don't know. I mean, that you're, it, you're seeing some techniques from Breathless here. I mean, the the way he does handheld, like it's you're, you're seeing you're seeing some influence here, but it's and you're seeing it a lot in. Um, and a lot of filmmakers from this period, especially because 70s American filmmakers drew a lot of their influences from French and Russian New Wave uh, filmmakers of that time. Tarantino is especially really influenced by Russian. His editing style, he loves the Russian editing style of the 40s and 50s. Which is? Hyperkinetic. Like, hyper-like, and like, you know, sort of, not that Tarantino does that a lot, but like, he he's a fan of it, and he's gone on record of saying how he likes what the Russians do. Uh, even in that editing documentary, Okay, hold on. It. I'm having trouble swallowing this. You're trying okay. to float the idea. That Quentin Tarantino likes the influences of other film genres and times. <laughs> the man is a human mixtape. Yes, I know. He's a blender of cinema. And, that's, and, and you know, God love him for it. Okay, like you know. I'll go with you on that. Right. Seems a bit like Ju- chicken magic beans. Yeah, so just, justify your claim. <laughs> this scene actually gets echoed in uh, Aaron Brockovich, uh, except, but it inverts it and adds the gender politics of it, where she basically shows her, like, she shows some cleavage to the guy. And yes, that scene did happen in real life. But it's uh, you know you can count and Soderbergh is another one who gets a lot of his influences from uh, uh, from seventies and, and French film. But we haven't done any Soderbergh and he's great. I just watched Girlfriend Experience last night and you could tell the French influence on in that one. That one had like and pre Godard French like that had some French influence in it. Uh, not that it's a good movie. Uh, not that we condone the like French. It. No, but yeah. Not that I like it, but it's you know it's there. This I love. <laughs> yeah. I love the inventiveness, and that's why where a good private investigator movie is is good because you see the inventiveness and the creativity of the investigator. Although I don't know why, either here or in 1955, and Marty McFly does it, they don't just take a fucking note. Hmm. People be ripping pages out of books. What well, the hell? Presumably, you could show that to somebody later if you needed to. You yeah. could say the proof is here, to, as opposed yeah, to evidence. some notes I've scribbled. You know, Marty doesn't need that for an address. I agree. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not just fine. Marty McFly future, is a saying. cunt. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wow. Well, did he have what anything did he to write on? He had his hand. Did he have a? Pen? Did he have a pen? He had a stick. <laughs> <laughs> How did we get here? <laughs> anyway, Chinatown. Woo! Okay, now here's here's kind of wow. interesting. Non this, sequitur. This is now what we know as I. I think they even say it. This is the San Fernando Valley, correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This. this if, you go, if you go, if you go, fun country. fact: Jack Nicholson, right here in this scene, is actually on the exact spot of Quing Labs. That's really? that's really cool. No, I've, yeah. I've totally made that up. <laughs> no, but if you go to Cal State... But yes, this is you, the San Fernando Valley. If you go to Cal State Northridge, they have a commemorative orange grove there because yeah. that's all the San Fernando Valley was up until about 1961. Like, for a long time, this, the San Fernando Valley was nothing but farm. And then, again, they piped some... You know, they <laughs> they started saying, wow, LA's getting kind of crowded. We should put some people on this side of the hill. Oops, we already built freeways, but, you know, whatever. Um which is why the 405, uh, you know, Sepulveda Pass is the worst bottleneck traffic in all Ugh. of the nation uh, for a reason. Um, so yeah, it's not that bad. It was. It's Actually, it's the worst in the nation. I thought it was second to the 10 and the 405. 
I no, it's, it's it's the worst is between the four hundred five one hundred one and the four hundred five ten. That yeah. is the worst that's, that section bo- of freeway. That, that's the pulpit of pass where it's where it used to be just three lanes. That is the worst bottleneck in all of American traffic. Which yeah. they're which is doing I, this major overhaul right now. Actually, trying well, to add more lanes. I yeah. never have much time with. Uh, it's not terrible in traffic there. It's more terrible in traffic like by the ten between like sunset and the ten. Uh, when I had that interest, I always I always love again that this bit. I know, love this fight. I yeah, love this fight. Back in and, the you know. but back in the day, you know, people there. There's this idea, and it's true of of you know in noir especially that you know the main character is like this this badass or whatever and stuff like that. But they'll get their asses kicked, yeah, and it's right. the most undignified. Like look at this. It's, it's the most ig- undignified ass beating. Yeah, ever, <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the Indiana Jones like badass mentality. It's not how much ass he can kick. It's right. how much ass he can ass take. kicking he can, he can take. take. Yeah. yeah. How much ass he can take. Yeah. Which is, which is why, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into this when we eventually do which Batman. Which is the same. It's the Mal Reynolds. Uh, same, same yeah. Kind of I, I, I'm, there's a... Uh, the, the best... Nor- I, I'm reading um, a series of books by a guy named Charlie Houston, and it's actually a vampire detective novel. Nice. Uh, the first one's called Already Dead, and it's co- they're called the Joe Pitt case books. And the, the guy is like a total hard ass and just the way he talks and stuff like that. Doesn't know how to keep his mouth shut and all that stuff. But it's like there's never the moment... Like he'll get sprayed in the face with like... The, uh, you know pepper pepper spray or whatever and he'll be like and then i was crawling around screaming and blah blah, blah. <laughs> he, like makes no effort to pretend it's dignified at all when right. those things happen and it's awesome it's you know we'll eventually when we do eventually do batman we'll talk about it but it's it's important to note that batman premiered in the late 30s and in a comic book called detective comics number mm-hmm. one and batman is called on the cover and is still referred to as the world's greatest detective mm-hmm. And that was the idea is that he was a he was a detective, he used detective skills, and it was very noirish. It was always at night that he went out. But and yeah, he smiled a lot, but he was he could get roughed up and he could also rough up people back and he used his ability to throw in a costume and, and use fear as a way to get the clues. So it was kind of <laughs> that a guy's flip. really just using <laughs> that crutch. It's like later. Well that's that. Symbolism. <laughs> you the guys crutch. you guys were watching the fight and there was wailing on with a crutch, but in the background the guy that had the paper was just completely oblivious. Yeah. yeah. Just looking at the paper, flip the page. And again, here's the moment we mentioned earlier where right. because because it's entirely from Giddy's point of view, he blacks out. The movie blacks out. Yeah, he wakes up. Movie works. comes but, back. But that's saying, bat, you know, like, like I was saying, Batman. He wasn't a superhuman. He wasn't an alien. He wasn't a god. You pricked him, and he bled buckets. Usually, you wronged him. And, shall he not revenge? Yeah. So it's just like, so he. I mean, he got hurt a lot. Yeah, that was, was his thing. Definitely, <laughs> I gotta say. Yeah. There's a lot of that going on with Batman. <laughs> Gee, thanks. And I love I lo- little touches of realism, like the blood is soaking through the bandage. Like, you know, in a, in a non-noir movie that, you know, his nose would have been healed by now. It would have been healed by real three, you know. And, and here we are. He's we're so, Even when he takes the bandage off and it's just stitches underneath, he's going to have those stitches for the rest of it. And now we get the reveal of the – he at this point, he's put pretty much the, the plot together of the, he was murdered, the water He was scheme. murdered to cover up he the was, water, yeah. yeah. So and we still have so this so whole other layer to go. But explain the nice old so school process me. shot too. I, explain I'm the what? This. Explain the what's what we've seen so far of the plot to me, Brian. Uh, okay, so uh, Hollis Mulray, her dead husband who was murdered, used to be business partners with Noah Cross, her father, and at one point built a dam that collapsed and killed a whole bunch of people. Now Noah Cross wants to basically do the same thing all over again, but in the San Fernando Valley has bought up all the lands from the farmers there and in the process has basically fucked over the farmers that were there to make their land worthless and then buy it from them for cheap. And then he's going to uh, steal water from somewhere else and funnel it into the San Fernando Valley and make the land worth much more than it is when they bought it. That plays exactly into what you were saying 
I don't remember what it was, about how if you can't tell your story in terms of this is what happened, you have a plot problem. This movie clearly does not have a plot problem. No, no. well played, sir. And not only that, but like, it's an extraordinarily complex plot, you know, piece by piece by piece that we find out over however far we're into it at this point, an hour and fifteen minutes. And still, at its essence, you can boil it down to a couple of sentences. And not only that, but we, you know, as elements of people that we've, you know, these of these subjects have been revealed piece by piece over time. We've gotten these pieces from literally all over the city. We've been right. from the San Fernando to the coast to from Inland Park, to Hollywood, from, from the Hall Park. Records. Yeah, we've been now from this old age home downtown. Yeah, we've been in Los Feliz. We've been in all over these places. Do we've you seen accept these people locales. of the Jewish persuasion? <laughs> We've seen all these different. That's a great line. We've seen all these different locations. We've seen all these different, uh, you know, and time too. Like we've seen it at all hours of the day. And so the city is revealing. The city is what's cranking out these little tidbits of information. Like you have to go here to find this out. You have to come back here to piece this together. He's got to go back to the house where it was at the beginning to finally put the last piece together. You know, and where he first got the photo of of uh of Hollis Mulray with his you know, now we know you know daughter where he thinks it's his mistress we got to go back there to to finish it all up and then we end up in Chinatown which is where Jake really started Jake as a private detective started what made Jake who he is now happened as a revol- result of his first instance with Chinatown which happened off camera we never saw which that. we never and we never, we never find, out find out exactly, exactly what. what happens we know it was bad we know what happens in Chinatown at the end of this movie is worse and that's what that's that, that's how the story reveals itself and it's it's a damn clever when we talk about good writing that's what we mean like it's not just dialogue it's not just set pieces it's 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 revealing it's these the bits construction of, of yeah. these uh, of these events I, I like to think of storytelling and, and filmmaking as you're basically creating a machine you're creating an artificial construction to communicate a point and whenever you build a machine you build a machine to accomplish a specific function and the a, a story is simply a machine whose point is, or whose function is to communicate this right. point. Yeah, you don't throw a, a spoiler onto you know like a spoiler on a car. You don't throw that onto a kitchen sink. It doesn't need it. You right. know what I mean? You don't you don't throw slow motion into all of your hero shots. You don't right. need it. You you don't have a you don't have a something where you're a, a quip every time your hero needs to say something funny. You, I mean, you have you have what's you have efficiency. you have what is necessary to communicate yeah. the point and nothing else. Economy. The simpler you can make your machine and still have it accomplish the purpose you set out to have it accomplish, the the superior the product will be. There's a great quote. Another shot where we're behind Jake too, by the way. Like we're just we're, we feel like we're literally his tail and we're literally just watching over his shoulder for a good chunk of this. There's a great quote that goes something very close to the effect of um, perfection is having is not having no more to add; it's having no more to take away. Right. Well, Bruce Lee, uh, when Bruce Lee was talking about the style he created, he didn't say. I don't add moves. I take away moves. I remove what isn't necessary. I'm only. I only, I don't. I'm not, I don't want to learn any more moves. I want to forget moves so that I only use what works. Uh, he even said, like you know, when um, when Michelangelo made David, he didn't keep adding clay. He chiseled away everything that wasn't there until David was. And even Michelangelo himself said, like, how did you make David? He said, I took away everything that wasn't David. You're right. You know, I chipped away everything that was not David. Interesting. Way to go, dude. And a little bit that was. Sorry about that tiny penis. So. <laughs> well, only and, half of the penis was David. Yeah. And David's all like, dude, I got a bigger shit than this. He's like, no, trust me, David, you don't. And yeah. he kept going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got to tell you the hard truths here. That's art. Art is the hard truth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm this French, is the essence, the essence of your small penis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that Michelangelo was just like trying to help everybody else out. Like that? No, that's normal size. Yeah. So, ladies, you should be thankful for what you got. Yeah. It's just because he's got big hands that it looks really small. <laughs> he's probably really. making that statue going. I'm gonna make the biggest dick on a statue yeah. ever. 
And everybody's Aww. like, everybody's like, man, whose dick did you make? He's like, oh. <laughs> well, you notice it is a white statue. Hey-o. Not that it was. They used to paint them, but the joke works. I don't know if he uh, would. Would they have painted them in Michelangelo's time? In in the Greek statues used to be painted, but I don't know if his would have been pure yeah, marble. Yeah, I think he's pretty. Probably late not. For, actually, I think yeah. pretty late for that. Anyway, what's happening? Uh, so now, <laughs> Brian, do the time at home. So now he's realizing. Okay, so the he was uh, Noah Cross is buying up all that land. He was right. doing it under fake names. Yeah, and so the fake names are actually these people at this old age home. Right, and that's why when Ida Sessions was like, look in the look in the obituaries for the names connected to this. Uh. The names were people that lived here that recently died, and so he even says in the car ride back, you know, so and so. Uh, died two weeks ago, and they yeah, bought, bought all this land, land a week ago. I yeah, call that yeah. unusual. That's why he goes. That's why he goes to the Hall of Records. There. Yeah. yeah. Shit, Pete. Go. Oof. Damn. Now keep in mind, we're in the middle of the seventies. Uh, you see, you've seen a lot of karate in film. You've seen a lot of like Eastern martial arts in film, but it, we see none of that here, which is oh, great yeah. because it's the nineteen thirties. And he wouldn't have been that and way. We wouldn't yeah. uh, You know, like I, I remember watching like a there was a Jean Claude Van Damme movie called The Quest, which took place in the thirties. And and like dudes from Germany are doing spin kicks, and uh, and I like that. The fight when I talk about fight choreography working, it has to be true to the time. That's exactly what I mean. That's just as good of a fight scene to me as like oh yeah something you'd see in the Matrix because it's not the move set necessarily. It's it's how the move set relates to what we're saying and the and the way it's it was how shot it demonstrates character. Yeah, the way it was shot again. You know, it was it was initially the first part of it was from the other side of the the you know the glass and stuff like that so it really feels like another person in the scene just went whoa what fu- shit whoa what's going on here yeah you know i mean real fights are dirty like re- yeah. i mean if you've never been in a real fight it looks nothing like what you what you see usually it's two dudes spazzing flailing their arms <laughs> they end up on the ground there's usually a headlock maybe a curb stomp and then they walk away or they get dragged away or they jump in a car and speed off uh i had chloe and teague over for dinner um <laughs> like a couple a month or two back and, and I, I beat the show no, no, no. i had to go i had to go to the store i had to go to the store to pick something up and i'm pulling into the albertson's parking lot and a, a dude jumps out of his car and starts beating the shit out of another guy in the parking lot and i i can't move my car around where they were i'm like i need to pick up you know taco shells or whatever it was i was there to pick up and I'm like okay i'll just back up and wait for this spazzy fight to end and i, I had to like end up parking somewhere else just because it was just such a sloppy ugly fight that they got into that's real fighting it's not pretty and it and this movie gets that there was a fight we remember that time we were at chipotle in burbank and there was that fight? yes that was awesome yeah it was also a very another like these guys are just this is not graceful at all well i remember hearing it yeah. We were inside Chipotle, and they're out. This is by the AMC in Burbank, and they're out in the you know patio area next to the movie theater, and we hear all these people screaming, and there's like a high school circle of people around these two guys, and I was like looking at like, is there like a line, or is there a celebrity, or because that's like the first three things you think of when you're in Hollywood, like who's famous there, uh, and then I literally heard from inside the restaurant, I was like, holy shit. That's like an Indiana Jones punch. Here we go. We're talking. We're talking about Chinatown. Oh, here's this is as here, close as we're going to get to here, understanding what went on. Here's the line that he that he says that Robert Towns got yeah. the inspiration from. Oh, what did you do in Chinatown? And as little as possible. Yeah. There was and a yeah, there was he, a slight uh, uh, sexual undertone in what they were saying. They're like, oh, it's been a long time since this happened to me. Well, when was the last time? Oh, yeah, a couple of years. Ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hooker eye. Yeah. 
hook right ahead and, and beat uh, the shit out of him. And they don't ever get more specific than that. Yep. Like, yep. Uh, bad shit happened. Uh, let's talk about something else. No. I miss, I miss like 1930s packaging. Ah, oh, that's gross. But that's, I mean, that's a. That's what it looks like. That's a realistic. If you've ever had gauze on something, yeah. that's, you know. <laughs> she does have a Fay Ray thing going on here, I gotta say. Yeah. Well, Whatever happened to Fay Ray? Uh, I see what you did there. Thank you. I don't get it. I don't remember the rest of it. Uh, yeah. But I, I saw what think, you did there. Think of the rest of the line. Whatever happened to Fay yeah. That something like beautiful satin dress or something mm-hmm. like that. Something, something, something. Let's do the time warp. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Moby Dick. <laughs> starring Barry Boswick. Ah, wow. see, everything's come back all around. comes together. They're doing a, a a nice job with the makeup and everything, like the blood on the the cotton ball and stuff like that. Yeah. It all feel uh, small little details that make it feel very real. So the small details that make you never think about it. Yeah, exactly. As opposed to being like, well, that is quite a clean. Uh, you know. That's a hell of a makeup job. Yeah. Very smooth. What yeah. the world needs now. And, and, it's a very easy transition. Well, easy it's and very, uh, you gotta say, very smooth because he's got this fucked up nose that she, 30 seconds <laughs> yeah, ago, that like, she would hurt. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, ow, 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 yeah. ow, 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 It's like when Gina Davis hugs the ripped off ear in yeah. the fly. <laughs> or the shot of the cook in Hunt for Red October. <laughs> I gotta say, the, even the kissing is very 1930s film sensibility. It's like when you watch a. a uh, it's a wonderful life. The first time they kiss in that movie, it's just this giant, you know, it's this bear hug with a power smooch, you know. <laughs> you almost expecting the high five. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, we gotta do Sunset Boulevard at some point. But the first time he uh, he like says Happy New Year to Norma Desmond, and they're about to, you know, it's in, it's totally inferred that they're about to have sex. She like reaches her hand up and like claws the back of his coat and like pulls. It's like such a great like shorthand to it. Now we wouldn't have seen two people in bed in a 1930s film, but that's what. But this shot here, this top-down shot in the bed, you see this in a lot of 70s films, actually. Like you see this in a lot of. Uh, uh, it's actually even a way it, the composition is almost similar to uh, *Requiem for a Dream*, like when uh, Jared Leto and Jennifer mm. Connelly are in bed. There's a little bit of that going on. He does a thing in that movie, and although I can never ever watch *Requiem for a Dream* again outside of the <laughs> one time I saw it in theaters, there's a thing he does with like a split. Oh my God, you saw it in theaters? Yeah, Jesus, I know, right? There's a thing he does in a with a split screen where you see like a close up of his face and then a close up of like her belly with like his hand just kind of on it. It's like these little tiny intimate moments, and uh, you know, obviously this is a bit more traditional with just a locked off shot, but you get that sense of intimacy here, you know. She still looks very porcelain like in her like her features. She's like really polished. It's like someone took a buffer to her face right before this. <laughs> Give her a good wax polish. That's what James Cameron was doing at this point. Yeah. <laughs> the little face Zamboni. <laughs> to smooth it out. Where's that Cameron PA? Yeah. Get on set. But again, a lot of... Talk- yeah, I just- guess they are still talking about Chinatown. Yeah. But, you know, they, they got to... Um, you know, back then, they it, it was like like a play you know it's like you got to remember your lines and just do them because we're not going to cut and nowadays you see people do that and it 
stands out so much because right. you're like no one does that anymore everyone's like, always oh cutting, my god that's such like, amazing filmmaking yeah <laughs> not really <laughs> it's been around for a while that's why you know in editing i remember people go like oh i hate mtv editing and how cutty it is i'm like well okay let's run it all the way back there's been there's been you know frenetic editing as far back as there's been editing yeah you know once we figured out we could do that it got kind of they got kind of excited for a little <laughs> while do you think tim and eric are the first ones to do a stutter edit no yeah. like i mean there's there's reasons for it you know Oh, the stutter edit. Speaking of Easy Rider, stutter <laughs> edit. Oh God. Well, not only, like scene transitions for no reason. Not only easier. You know, some there was a TV show, uh, Grey's Anatomy or Private Practice, one of those. Because I came home one day and I was and my wife was watching it, and they did the um, the breathless thing, the breathless cut, where it's like a flash, 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 right. and then they go to the cut, and it's like really that's what easy rider does. oh easy rider does yeah. that too yeah i believe and, they talk about that in that editing documentary talk yeah about why they did that yeah and the, and well and that makes sense for easy rider as much yeah. as easy rider makes sense but they did it on fucking gray's anatomy yeah. like why <laughs> like there's and that movie didn't that episode had nothing to do with anything but it's 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 an editor being too clever by half you know the editor who needs to be like i need to make sure i have an editing reel i need to not have a midlife crisis and the fact that i'm editing network television you know like and making you know probably five thousand a week but whatever hey look faye dunaway is topless in this movie you guys should watch it you kind of can see some nip going see on some here in a second there you yeah, go there, there it is, is. hey we already had some it's like the atst in empire that's that but i mean watch my father and look what she does <laughs> shows up a little know? bit before oh, yeah, there's yeah. a reason that's that's not a gratuitous nudity she's she's naked she says my father she covers up there's a uh, you know and then the wrist, a lot of really good subtle things. It's like I mean, the not, true story of, what was it, Mackenzie Phillips. Right. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie's face turned into a spring for a second. What did he say? I'm going to put on pajamas and a turtleneck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to put on this nun costume that yes. I have laying around. Can you lock the, top, lock the top of my isolation box, please? Thank you. Oh, yes, his, his girlfriend. Yes, her. <laughs> Back to the handheld a little bit. Yeah, it was it was very locked off for the last couple shots, and now like, it's the, like the five minute scene. Yeah, you know now, now we're getting more clues. So What's the camera's the like, oh, what? Hmm? I remember reading an article with Paul Schrader uh, before that movie Autofocus with Greg Kinnear came out, and he said like, oh, well, Greg that, that movie spans day, and uh, the movie is about uh, uh, the guy from Hogan's Heroes and how he was like a Hollywood star, but he had like these crazed sex obsession that cost him his career and his life. Uh, but the movie starts off with him host, you know, being on, on Hogan's Heroes, and then as his career gets worse and his life gets worse, you know, the the visual style changes. So he says, "I started off being very locked off and very, you know, very few edits, and then by the end, I was much more handheld and much more uh, choppy, and the color palette changes." I'm like, "Oh, that sounds fun." What he didn't say is like, it's like he was like the handheld segment towards the end are it's like he's on a goddamn trampoline he's literally just like shaking the hand and <laughs> it's like it was like it was like the star trek rumble the entire time like they you know there's just absolutely it's like all right dude i get the point your life sucks like uh, I, I i get it you don't have to keep doing this yeah i hate the handheld look where they're like i am handheld right, right. shake it and it's like no don't do that um, where there's whip pans and shaking and jitters yeah. just for the it, sake it, of it. There's, I mean, and 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 like reframing, but to make sure you can't get the person right, from out right. from behind the other person. Because so th- if I'm you land, at you, you hit the frame, but then you like you throw the frame off and then you reframe. Yeah, I don't like those movies. That modern. This looks like uh, this looks like um, uh, Eagle Rock. Actually, I'm not sure it is, but it looks like the Echo Park kind of bleeding into Eagle Rock there. Those hills. 
Although I could be well, now wrong. this frame is almost entirely black, so it's tough to tell. But but again, yeah, we're talking hey, about. Hey, why is it gotta be black? It feels <laughs> like it feels like that. Just these houses, because these houses are still the, this style of house is still out there. Glendale, Pasadena, that kind of yep. that kind of look. Glendale. So, <laughs> so it probably is Glendale, and it could have been. Eagle. I would. T- I would t- have gang roots in Glendale. No, I I, I grew up in La Crescenta. That's my that's my as close to a hometown as I have. The Glendale grips. <laughs> uh, I have a lot of friends who went to GCC and. You know. Well, yeah. so, yeah. it took an hour Great and thirty minutes there. for us to run out of things to say about yeah. Chinatown. <laughs> right. No, we're not. I don't think we're done. Though, There's only half we, an hour left. And now, the last half an hour is great. But no, because exactly now we're getting into like the this is we're, where the pace quickens and we get you know the series of events and revelations come that are really yeah we're about to get a big piece big, big piece, piece of, of information, information. And, right and not only that but some of the best performance work that Faye Dunaway does fucking ever. Uh, right after the nudity scene, so she right got that after, part of the way first. Yeah, right after that, you could probably just skip to the last forty minutes of Chinatown. <laughs> now you notice we no, we said earlier, like you know, <laughs> get in early, get out late. But if you notice, we saw him from the time he parked all the way to the time he walked up there. There's a reason for that because so that when we come to here, we're already halfway into their conversation. Like if he just ran, like he has to make a slow approach to that house to get this piece of information. He has to work for that information. Mm-hmm. So therefore, we as the audience have to wait wait a second. And that to me, I mean, you probably could have ellipsed the time a little bit, but. I, I I like that when we come in, we're here. You probably could have cut to him walking up to the Maybe. window to see her. Well, no, but he walks up to the front door, he looks, and then he comes around to the side. We kind of needed to see. We could have done another setup where we saw that from a different angle, sure. But, you know, and here we are. And here we this see. This is the clearest shot of, and I, I forget her character's name. Uh, the, Evelyn. Evelyn, yeah, the, uh, the sister daughter. No, we see her very well we in, saw, in the last shot where... Well, when no, they come up on the car? Up until now is what I'm saying. Oh, yes, up yes, until now, totally. is, Yeah, we saw her once before with, uh, with uh, hang on. Sorry, we're about to have some sabotage there. Tesla's uh, about to jump on the laptop. Yeah. Eddie had to karate Tesla. Uh, I My karate aura and Chloe kicking it probably. <laughs> um, ah, anyway. uh, yes, drugs. <laughs> People forget, like, I mean, we talk, we talk about, we talk about, uh, you know, uh, pill addiction in this day and age. Well, it goes back a little bit. It was, you know, but back then it wasn't an addiction. It was just something you did. <laughs> yeah, it was just like oh, it's just something you did for good humor. In the thirties, exactly. <laughs> aside from prohibition, you could just smoke, drink, take all kinds of pills, feed your baby whiskey. It was awesome. Well, it's your like, baby heroin, man. They, oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Seriously, it was like ba- it was like back in the day. Uh, and we weren't too far separated from when Coca Cola had cocaine. had cocaine in it. Right. Now so, it has. So now we have. So now we have Jack Nicholson. He thinks he's got. Now it's a big deal if it's got real sugar. That's, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, now at this point, Jack Nicholson thinks he has it all figured out, and now he's confronting Faye Dunaway about it. And uh, nope, he's got it completely wrong. Well, and we do too, because because so far we're with him as an audience. The first time you see this, you're like, "Yep, uh, that's what it is." Yeah, she killed him. That. Rapscallion, but because uh, that's you know, that's the standard. That's kind the of a standard. Story. That, like, yeah. Oh, the you know, crime of passion, you know, yeah. or whatever. That's that's not what, but that's it's much seedier and much darker than that. There is no such thing as good old days, by the way. There's no such no. thing as a time yeah. that existed that was better. They're, they're, no, there. The idea of uh, yeah, no. Uh, the nineteen eighty-seven. The eighties were pretty hmm. awesome. I. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't even know how to respond. Yeah, it's just spit take. Yeah, uh, um, but well, it's true. As, as John Stewart so like laid it out so well. It's like uh, talking about how all these conservative pundits are like, no, when I was a kid, John Oliver did the, the j- bit. He did yeah. the did, segment. Did he do yeah. the bit? Yeah. But, uh, 
times were so much simpler and nicer and better when I was a kid. And they show like four yeah. or five different conservative pundits all saying basically that and going, yeah, they were better because you were a kid. And yeah. You had to <laughs> worry about <laughs> you, didn't have, you didn't think about any of that crap. Yeah. We were but thinking th- about nuclear detente when we were kids yeah, in the it, 80s. Well, because then it took, it took, it was like, when was that better time? Was it the 80s? Then they talked to someone in the 80s. It's like, no, we had the Cold War and we had the blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Maybe it was the 70s. Yeah. No, we were just coming up with Vietnam. Blah, 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 hippies. Blah, blah. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, sixties. No, then we had Vietnam and all that stuff. <laughs> Maybe it was the thirties. Fucking the Great Depression. Are you kidding me? And it's like, <laughs> well, that's like, and, like, and not yeah. only that, but just like moral depravity. Like we always think, like, oh, this, you know, uh, we think of like really bad sexual and moral depravity as like something that's recent or yeah. Cool, but it's it's not. The same shit happened quite a bit. I mean, yeah. We, you know, we had we had a Marquis you know, de Sade. You got here somehow, Caligula. <laughs> there was just, fucking back then. Okay, there that, was. But, you know, I, I just I'm reading right now John Krakauer's uh, Under the Banner of Heaven, which is about Mormon polygamy and the history of it and how mm. it really does have roots to the birth of that religion. Uh, that sounds interesting. It's really good. It's 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 really it's, it uses a murder in the mid '80s as a launching ground to explore all that stuff. Highly recommend it. Um, but it's a uh, you know the idea that I mean you know John Smith, the founder of Mormonism, had towards the end of his days uh he kind of got there backwards too because he said earlier to a friend before he instituted polygamy he said every time i see an attractive woman i have to pray for grace like i mean <laughs> the guy was a horn dog and so then he's like ah you know what god spoke to me and <laughs> guess what folks he wants me to have 30 women they all need to be about 14 years old and and that's you know that's how is that any different than what we're seeing here and the idea that the 1930s was this great time it's you know no there's some really messed up stuff there i've heard yeah. some stories from my great grandma that that are horrible you know as far as like things that happened back then oh sex stories yeah totally i mean back back oh, then that, things that weren't talked about in polite society the only difference now is that we live in a more that's the good thing about grandmas they get more and more impolite right yeah. great grandmas i mean this this is you know this she you know but the idea is that uh, you know, just nowadays we know about it sooner we have a sensationalistic media that can actually talk about some of this stuff in public now Right, and, and we publicly or, discuss it. Yeah, back often. then, a newspaper reporter like, oh, uh, let's see, he raped his daughter, had a daughter. Okay, we're not going to report that. Like, we're not going to put that in the paper. You yeah. Know? This is an interesting series of moments where we see him, we just see him taking a shower and then uh-huh. getting ready for bed. It's an interesting little breather, and it leads up to this point where he gets two phone calls right in a row. Yeah. Uh, that will then lead into the next bit of story plot movement well because it's the thing where it's like he thinks he's figured it out so he's like okay i'm done yep washing up going to bed all right good good. uh, yeah exactly the movie's like okay on our way out and then phone rings nope you thought and this is another great example of psych we've talked about it before like if you have an idea for a movie and a plot you should there's a natural conclusion to that but you should try to find a way to move that story beyond the obvious there's an obvious conclusion and you should where you say, um, if you have this idea, that'll probably be how it ends. And you want to make that your midpoint mm. and then really dive deep and really think about an idea and figure out how it could go even further than that. Yeah. And this is a great example of that. Like, this is the obvious, the kind of the story that people familiar with this genre would have seen dozens of times before. And now we've played that out. And now, now we're going to keep going. Yeah, and the movie's not over. Yeah, and we still have. Oh, and I'm sure, I'm sure if you were familiar 15, with 20 that, minutes left. Yeah, if you were familiar with that kind of thing, you would at this point be like what yeah why is this still going what's happening yeah. here it's, it's very much like uh the end of alien where sigourney weavers and life pie go all right movie's done yeah yay no more alien time well, for underwear yeah. yeah but she's gonna get she's well literally she's gonna get ready for bed and the movie keeps going 848 and a half Echo Park. Echo Park actually has a lot of uh, and guest three houses. Quarters. And uh, yeah. And, and, uh, uh, back houses. Base, back houses. All basement. of LA does as, as a census well, yeah. marker. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. 
you never know when something's going to pop up. My friend actually had a story where she was uh, she was looking for a house. She was like looking to rent a house, and she finds this one. It was perfect. It was really great. And this little Chinese man like introduced like, oh yes, yeah, so you come in, come take a look at the house, and it's like a two and a half bedroom, and everything's or a two bedroom, uh, one and a half bath. It was perfect for her roommate. Everything was great. And then she notices in the middle of the hallway, there's literally a portal like in the middle of the hallway, and she's like, oh, what's down there? He's like, oh, that's where I live, <laughs> and he and she's like. Okay, so if I rent from you, you'll still be down there? He's like, oh, yes. And she's like, yeah, no. Like, it was actually this little, like, sub-basement. And she went down in there, and sure enough, the guy had a bed, and he had, like, all this other stuff. He's like, so you need to come up to use the bathroom? Oh, yes. But I stay down there. Don't you worry. I won't I won't be up very much. And it's like, yeah, we're, we'll call you back <laughs> on that one. There's all sorts of little um, – yeah, my wife's from the East Coast, and everyone has a basement that they've converted into like this awesome little wet bar entertainment center. And they're shocked, shocked, I say, that we don't have basements out here. But we have like these weird, you know, if you go down to like Long Beach, there's a lot of wine cellars, and we have all these sort of weird architectural anomalies. There, there is some very interesting architecture going on in LA, some very interesting city planning <laughs> in certain cases. Well, I mean, or lack know, thereof. This, yeah. You're like, fuck, put some people there. I don't know. Right. I mean, you, you look at it, just if you just look top down at our freeway system, you're like, oh, yeah, you guys were making this shit up as you went along, yeah. weren't yeah. you? You know. Again, once again, uh, calling back to it over the shoulder, handheld. Just kind of following him, along. Falling around. Yeah. Just sort of kind of. All natural light, too, by the way. Very dark. Uh, he used a. I don't think he used a Zeiss lens, but he used a, a low light lens. And very fast and, lens, yeah. Very fast lens. And. Uh, quick shutter and and you can you know or he's shutter, not afraid to lose see. detail in jack nicholson's face like just not now before he stepped yeah. into that light and look, and look at the borders the borders are often obscured with darkness i mean you're only and you're getting just glimpses of what's going on and there's ida sessions poor lady poor old ida sessions oh the ice cream and the ice cream melted that was a nice touch it wasn't just groceries it was ice cream shows you like how, how long, long it's been, been yeah. yeah without really pointing it out though yeah Visual it's, storytelling. Yeah. Yep. Holy a, crap. <laughs> there's a lot of great moments of visual storytelling in this. Uh, art movie's magic. You know. <laughs> Most of which we've glossed right over, but yeah. at least we pointed that one out. You know, Stephen King. Good Brent- day, everybody. <laughs> hey, yeah. this has been Down in Front. Yeah. Stephen King um, talks about how writing is telepathy and how he can think one thing at one time and then you read it and then you're thinking, he describes an image and you picture that image. And it's literally, it's it's not magic in a, in a, in a it's literally, it's literally telepathy in a lot of ways. And, Filmmaking. You is, can see the Screen Actors Guild. Or yeah, screen the Actors sad Guild card, card there. there, just like everybody else yeah. you know, in LA. Uh, but you, but and, but at the time that was even that was almost even more true. Like, yeah, like because yeah. like we're talking about there was back when SAG was actually easy to get into. Yeah, and there was no reason to come to LA unless you were going to be in the movies because right, that's right. the only thing this city existed for. Now there's still almost no reason to come to LA <laughs> unless you want to be involved in movies, but. Um, it's a much bigger city and much yeah, more Disneyland. difficult to actually be involved. No, we don't. That's Orange County, Anaheim. Orange County is. But not there's LA. no reason to live in Orange County. <laughs> I went to school. I, went to, I did my freshman year of college out in Hawaii, and uh, I remember there weren't too many people from LA, but there was there was like one there was one girl from uh, Anaheim, and uh, somebody from like the Midwest. We were sitting around the dorm talking, and somebody around the Midwest was asking about like LA gangs and all this other stuff. And this girl was speaking a little bit too much truth to power on it. And uh, she kept going on and on. And after a while, I just looked around and said, "You're from fucking Disneyland. Like you're you're like <laughs> I've been to Anaheim. The, it's not you cannot speak about the Rolling Sixties. Like you can't you know you can't talk about the the Crips over in Long Beach. You can't talk about this shit. You're not from there. Like one of the great all time comebacks of all time. Where uh, <laughs> what? One of the great all time comebacks of all time. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. hey, oh, yeah. What? Uh, were the were the other cops like? Uh, hey. Uh, 
what happened to your nose? Get get it jammed in some woman's bedroom window too fast? And uh, Jack Nicholson replies, nope, your, your, your wife crossed her legs too quick. Yeah. He has a lot of those uh, uh, women's legs jokes, five easy pieces, you know, yeah. the, the chicken salad sandwich bit, where he's uh, she's like, he's asking her to hold the chicken, and she's like, I, we can't do it. I have to put the chicken on there. I was like, hold it. Where do you want me to hold it? In between your knees. Like, just <laughs> fucking butthole. <laughs> yeah. Also, the good, you know, again, we've seen him get his ass kicked a bunch of times, yeah. and yet he still will Ornery. just totally mouth off to anyone <laughs> who, if he, does, if he doesn't like the look of you, or even if he does and he's in a bad mood, he's going to say some shit no matter what. They've been saying broad a lot in this movie. Yep. Do you know what the etymology of broad is? No idea. Yeah. It's a piece of meat with a hole in it. Really? It's like a slice yeah. of ham that they hit the spine Yikes. out of. A broad is a piece of meat with a hole. Oh, Jesus. How so nice good. of a term, huh? How, yeah. how, see, man. It's funny because we always think of broad as one of the less mean things. Yeah, no kidding. That's kind old of, school. Old people were dicks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were. It was an innocent time, Eddie. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. The good old days. My, yeah. yeah, my father was. Things uh, were wholesome back then. Yeah. <laughs> my father was quite a bit older. My father was born. Uh, I'm 32. My father was born in 1937. And. Uh, so he, you know, he had some years on me. He graduated high school in '55. So when you think '55, you think happy days. But as I got older, my dad was telling me about like, oh no, there was one chick on the block who was a prostitute, and she was 15, and like just all these like really horrible stories that kind of fall in line with, you know, sort of this version of events. And that one time, those kids from the chess club beat up that colored person. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. No, yeah. I mean, he, you know, he he was in the army in 1957. I mean, he yeah. certainly had a thing or two to say about that. But you know. Here's here's the exposition scene that's actually wrong. He's yeah, he's, where he, he's like he's ex- where he's felt it, that he's got it all figured out. Yeah, but he doesn't. He he's doing the wrong sum up. And but yeah. again, we think we we're, yeah, we're like yeah. We've, if we've seen this movie before, we think that's the right way. Yeah. And then this is when things really start to you know yeah, right over the hill. You know the uh, the guys from Big Lebowski are dumping the ashes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, at the bottom of this, we're all Duke and his <laughs> lawyer are waving the flag, and then down the beach, they're burying Benicio del Toro. <laughs> right around the corner, Barry Bostwick is trying to kill a giant white whale. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> no more Moby Dick reference. Coming this fall, ladies and gentlemen. Actually, coming in like three weeks, I think. Yeah, pretty <laughs> That's soon. Pretty, pretty, soon. pretty quick. Another month or so. That's going to be my favorite episode of Down in Front ever, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do we do with Moby Dick? Wheels. I like how their fedoras don't match their suits. I thought it was a thing that they're supposed to match. No. It's supposed to be no. like a no. Thing. You would have to have like twenty fedoras. No, yeah. I, it, as women will say, hat matches the belt. You know, um, it, it's you know, they will. <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> Chloe shrugged. <laughs> <laughs> women who wear who wear matching hats and belt. Then I guess I, I don't know. Why I don't, do you, why I don't do you know, know that, Eddie? I I I know too many women. I don't know. <laughs> I know too much. I know too much. So this is the okay. So this is the point where he's going to confront her about it. Yeah, and we're we're back to uh, that that the pond that we were talking right. about before, which feels like another lifetime ago. Like yeah, just laid it out and then forgot about it. Yeah, which is which is what you want. You want to lay out that important detail as early and as innocuously as possible. Let your audience forget about it. The audience will back. definitely have forgotten about the shiny thing he saw in there, mm-hmm. which is very important, and yeah. we even got a cut of it, but they're like, huh, shiny, and then moving on. 
they went and had an Arnold Palmer or whatever they did. <laughs> a what? I don't uh, Arnold Palmer. It's, what the hell? Uh, it is sort of also it's lemonade and iced tea. It's lemonade and iced tea. My my wife, since she's been pregnant, has been craving it nonstop. <laughs> like seriously, uh. every and variations like pink lemonade or raspberry lemonade. I see. It's she's a she's a Arnold Palmer connoisseur at this point. <laughs> I love this, though. She's trying to escape town to avoid the giant conspiracy of the horrible nightmare, yet she still has her maid put blankets on the furniture. <laughs> it's, we'll be back eventually once anyway, this all blows over. And, and the, that very important moment, because the, the landscaper guy is saying the same thing he said before, you know, very glass. bad for glass, very bad for glass. But just those two extra words. Very bad for grass. Salt water, very bad for for grass, rather. Yeah, exactly. It. But that's it's taking advantage of the the lack of difference between an R and an L in the Japanese or Chinese languages. Yeah, <laughs> and that that is the thing. It's not just being horribly, horribly racist. It's it's an uh, you know, in it's, Japan, it's it's making point. It's, it's making point, racism yeah. a plot point, which is strong screenwriting. <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's a uh, you know Japanese well done there. And uh, in Japanese, it's it's colloquially translated as an R, but it has an L sound to it. Like so, when you say words like "ashiteru," it's it's like R and L sort of mixed together. It's not really there's no clear translation on it m and n sound very similar as well i like how he steps all the way in with his pants but the shirt he makes sure and rolls up <laughs> and he has like the boots he has like yeah. the waiter boots on and i just I, like get in there and grab it's like okay okay white man all right <laughs> all right i don't even know you but because you're white i yeah. can do what you I say know, right? there we go Bum, bum, yeah, the music has gotten oh. a little. Uh oh. Yeah. yeah. Now we're we now get we're getting more, more aggressive. We get more than just the trumpets now. Yeah. We get the those really heavy piano chords. And and the strings. So we now, got some psycho. So and now stuff. it's kind of like the Matrix, but the piano actually. Don 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 don. So now he thinks he's got it all figured out, and he's going to confront her. After a certain point in your life, a private detective, James Wong, there we go, investigator, all right, would have to just Hong. start. That would like force you to realize you know nothing. Like just watching this one mystery with this one guy, it's like every time you think you know, you're fucking wrong. I wonder if you could ever actually feel confident about anything after doing this for a few years. You would you, probably because you have to. You have to, and then you'd always wonder if you actually solved it. Well, you have to imagine that before this case, he had fifty cases that were all simple. Yeah. W- you know, Take wife cheating on the husband. Her, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, that's what they hire him for. They yeah. hire him for just adultery cases, and you know, I think my husband's cheating on me. Go take pictures of him, yep. yeah. and he does. And you know, the guy from Cheaters shows up, and the whole thing. <laughs> but no, no, he just shows him the pictures, like you yeah. see at the beginning. He's like, "Fucking look at it." Yeah, and then and ni- ninety nine times out of a hundred, that's what it is. And that hundred time, you stumble yeah. upon a massive right. Los Angeles conspiracy. And he doesn't. It's not as we see in the beginning. It's he doesn't even. It's not that he says. You know, at the beginning, your wife is cheating on you. He's yeah. like, "Here are the pictures I took. Yeah. You form your own conclusions. <laughs> you can ask her about it if you like, but this is the photographic right. evidence." Right. So this is the time where he's like, "All right, I know what's going on." Yeah. Me, me, me. She's like, and "No, we, not really. <laughs> I guess you'll have to slap it out of me." And we talk about the importance of having a ticking clock. It's a big cliche. Is always have a ticking mm-hmm. clock. And but, he sets he sets up true. his own ticking clock. It, it's stakes. You need yeah. stakes. You need to have. You need a like, deadline. You need, you need you to be need, racing towards it. And that you know, it's funny. We were talking about reality. Earlier. That's true in reality. Most great reality shows are the ones that have a ticking clock or stakes of some kind. You yeah. need yeah. that. It, that's just dramatic conflict. That's. I'm pretty I, sure his name is James I, Wong. I, I think at this I, point I, also I, we're I kind of up earlier. It's Hong. Uh-huh. Okay. My at bad. this at this point, we're well. The W and H sound a lot. Yeah. Um. Oh. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Hey now. 
Um, All their language looks like scribbles anyway. Fuck it. I think at this point, though, it's kind of... He is explaining something, because he is a little bit ahead of us at this point in yeah. his version of it, even right. though he's, you know, so we're kind of like, I'm not quite getting the significance of what he is, and so this scene, it's explaining yeah. what he's thinking, and we're like, oh, okay, cool, but then, but then this shit. <laughs> but yeah, but then, ooh, yeah, everything gets turned around. Yeah, and it feels, like, Faye Dunaway does such a great job, you know, her hair being must and stuff. Because now she's falling out of the very perfect porcelain doll look. Yeah. Um, and you feel so sorry for her. <laughs> the way he's just here we go beating the shit out of her. I, yeah. I mean, he's he's being really cruel to her right now. But then when he starts smacking he her around, pulls a Sean like, Connery on And her, apparently yeah. she had told him just just smack yeah, she, me. Yeah. He he really slaps her around. Because, this, I, I, apparently, as the story goes, at first he was kind of holding back, and yeah. she's like, "No, just do it." Yeah, you yeah. got to get this and out. She's my daughter. Slap. But like, you know, he's he's slapping a woman, and that's yeah. Wrong. She's I my think sister. We, I think slap. we can agree that that's wrong. But like, we understand his frustration. Daughter, he's been completely slap. taken down the rabbit hole. My here, sister, my so, daughter, slap. slap. I, I give him backhand and everything. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a mantis. Yeah, almost that he does. And here, this is the moment. The big moment. She's my sister and my yeah. daughter. Last last spoiler. chance for spoiler alert. There. Yeah, you're you're in it now. Hey, Con. Con. Yeah. I did it. I did it. He's uh, yeah, and you know, I, again, you you see it in him. He's like, oh man, I really wish I had slapped the crap out of you just now because now <laughs> well, I'm a bad person. <laughs> funny story. I I just beat up a woman who's a raped and it's yeah. a survivor. So, but that's I'm gonna but, go but punch then, a kid with cancer. I'll yeah. be right back. But to be fair, you know she could take it. But uh, <laughs> but that's the weird thing. What do you say to him with one black eye? Nothing <laughs> she hasn't heard before. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the joke technically is, what do you tell a woman with two black eyes? Nothing you haven't told her twice before. No. All right, yeah. Uh, but the thing about the rape is, which I find incredibly odd, is he asks her specifically, was it rape? And she says no. Or mm-hmm. she actually shakes her head no. Yeah. And she goes, do you understand that or is it too tough for you? Mm-hmm. So it's explicitly said that it's not rape. Right, rape. But it's it's but it's a, it's, it's still a, a natural it's abuse. Incestuous. It's abuse. It's a yeah. man taking advantage of a child. Yeah. you know, it's not. It's not it in is, a it Polanski is. film. <laughs> what? Yeah, this is just well, that's the now. thing. Which, yeah. by the way, Indiana Jones did to Marion. Yes. Yes. She was fourteen. Yeah, that's a good point. That's true. But the the, the but but he has nothing to do with not, the ending. Raiders not, of the Lost Ark sucked. Not her <laughs> father. That's yeah. a important distinction. Her and, father's friend. I and guess. That's the thing. That's the thing. It's father. like I mean, and it's not like this yeah, is anything. Good old Uncle Indy. This isn't yeah. anything that you know English royalty has been doing for two thousand years. But yeah. the point is, is that it's yeah. Know, we have a, a, again going back to like yeah. sexual mores. Everyone's like a teenager. It's like well, you kind of had to because they'd be dead by thirty. <laughs> so you kind of had to bang a teenager back in the day. Yeah. Not saying it was right or it is now, but they that's did happen. That's what you did. Um, but yeah, it's you know that's and that's where it is still rape, even though she doesn't feel it is, even right? Because she feels shame, so she feels she has to admit it was consensual, even though it is. And right. It's it's, it's a adult and it's a father taking right. horrible horrible advantage. It of just a child. seems like a interesting distinction to make, especially in such an emotionally charged moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know how, it, and I'm sure it, it might, uh, but I don't know how it serves the story to make that distinction. It makes it more fucked up. It makes it yeah, because she was she went along with it. You know, it, she it, believes it gives her, that she, it gives her more her, pa- 
pathos more accurate, it's her, well it's her shame because if it's if she at any point went along with it then she is more inclined to keep it covered up if she'd been raped once and she had a child she could at any point like say or go to the authorities say this is what happened and yeah. you can do the you know they didn't have genetic testing obviously but you this is what happened but if she says oh well, I, ca- I carried but i carried on an affair with my father that's yeah. a bit harder of a sell to elicit sympathy yeah you know? yeah know, it, it, it prevents in, you in it, the 30s it w- that wouldn't have mattered she would have gone to the police and said he raped me and the police would have gone right but whatever it's a bad situation she probably either way would have ended up in a sanitarium realistically yeah, probably. you know so it's it's not a it's not the thing you can but it, afford it's a, a, yeah in terms of the world then it, it's you know it comes to about the same thing but it, it, like you're saying in terms of the story it makes it so that it, there there's no here black- we go here we go do you know where alameda is janitown yeah sure there's no there's no black and white in this i think that's yeah. the whole thing okay. his his thing is that he he you know he was like this is a black and white case and completely and it's like no nothing at all is like that and the whole thing is if if it was the kind of thing where she was raped and she didn't want it to some degree or whatever then it would be like okay he was a bad man and he hurt you but instead there's this gray area where she's like i kind of did want it and i'm fucked up and i had a kid with it and you know blah blah blah, so and and that's and that's that's what film noir does it's about it's not there are there is no black and white it's it's not everything everything's got black (laughs) (laughs) but everything is gray everything is very dim that's a great quote you know film noir nothing is black and white except for the visuals yeah that's a t-shirt that's that's what that goes on the goes on the fucking store but uh but yeah, that's you know. Thanks. <laughs> Nothing is black and white except for the vision. <laughs> <laughs> just to get it in there, say it a few more times, and then we'll just say now it over and over again. A, now for... it's a meme. Then you'll, yeah, yeah, you'll pull exactly. the clip back, and you know. Uh, so anyway, but uh, yeah, but that's the thing. I mean, personally, if if you know, if I was a woman and I had a, a daughter with my father, I'd just be happy the child didn't have flippers for hands. You yeah. Know? There's again. I, I think I mentioned one of the commentaries, but uh, the Preacher comic book by Garth Ennis. There's a. It's it's a satirical, very dark, violent humor thing, uh, where you find out that the papacy has kept the bloodline of Christ alive. That they basically made Jesus's descendants inbreed with each other over thousands of years. So the modern day descendant of Jesus Christ is this kid with eyes very close together and a bowl haircut and a tiny chin, totally just, inbred, who just yeah. like jumps around going humper number you know, like and yeah. whose, whose parents throw shit at the cage. So, like they're basically these devolved like like creatures, and uh, it, it's 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 so the fact that Evelyn Mulray turned out okay, yeah, that's that's a good. Yeah, exactly. That's a real sunshine. It's a crapshoot, really. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's it's exactly. very much a game of roulette when you do that, right? Yeah, it's not. It's uh, they're not automatically going to turn out fucked up, but statistically, <laughs> they're more, the more likely. You're yeah, on the dice on that one. And the the more generations you do it, the more loaded the dice. Gets. Oh yeah, yeah. At a certain point, it's all kind of fucked up, and it's pretty <laughs> sure that it's gonna. <laughs> yeah. Hello, British royalty, uh, as we discussed before, but... (laughs) (laughs) European royalty, really. Yeah. And now we're watching. And watching. So now at this point... So at the beginning of that scene, he set up the ticking clock of... He he calls Lou Escobar, his old partner, and says, get over here, because he thinks he has it figured out. Mm -hmm. Then we have the big revelation. And so... Now he's got to solve the problem he just created. Right. (laughs) He, He just, like... Had he not called the police at the beginning of that, everything probably would have been okay. It, yeah, he could have like, okay, well, we'll get you, we'll get you out of town somehow, and that'll be it. That's the end of the movie. But now he's dealing with his own complications that he set up for himself, right? Which you know, uh, keeps, which is good, keeps the movie going and keeps yeah. being like, oh, now it's gotten worse. Yeah. How's he going to get out of this one? And it's gotten worse by his own doing. Yeah, yeah, by thinking but, he knew what was going on. Yeah, but not by him being flat out inept, as we talked about in the Empire commentary, where you know. 
you have your hero and you have to give them obstacles. So a, a lazy writer will tend to make I love that. This is okay. So this is, the guy from, this is the guy from yeah. the beginning who, who in the very beginning, his wife opens the door and she's got a black eye. <laughs> it's like, oh, you, I see the progress of events that have happened here since he found out his wife was cheating on him. There's exactly. a whole other movie that happened that we just exactly. Yeah. That's, we I love that. I love that. That's I love straight. that. I love that he tries, hey, this is the guy <laughs> that, all right. Oh, yeah, I know who you are. You're not going to be too happy about that. By the way, like thanks. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for everything. But that's that's good. It's you know say what you want about the Godfather, but the very first scene in the Godfather is the guy asking for a favor of the Godfather to help beat up the guys who raped his daughter. Halfway through the film, after and that guy happens to be he just they mentioned very casually the guy happens to be a mortician. Halfway through the film, when Sonny gets killed, he comes back. To, you know, one day your Godfather will ask you for a favor. Halfway through the film, a couple of years after that point in the timeline, that's when the Godfather comes back and says, "Just please make him look like a way that I can present him to his mother." Like that's that's the favor. You know, that's that's another good example of that. Like, not, like we said, you want to set up your ending yeah, in the exactly. beginning. Well, that but that wasn't the ending. That was just a plot point in the middle. That right, was the right. middle of the film. But still, if you can have your arcs sort of be, you know, ellip- like palindromes of one another, that's, you know, it's a good thing. You, 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 want, it, you want it to rhyme like stanzas. <laughs> <laughs> it's like poetry. Stop wasting my time. <laughs> Stop it. I'm working um, on my Mr. Pink. Okay, this is definitely a thing that you could cut to make it look all kind of wrong, really. He keeps looking down like, what are you doing? Now? Hey, what's going Forget- on? <laughs> Just tell me a story. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He's very Bert Young's very charming uh, in this whole thing. Who is uh, Bert Young? The guy who plays uh, this guy. He's Paulie and Rocky. Oh, yeah. These days he would be Kevin Pollock. <laughs> Bert Young was much more of a gruffer Kevin Pollock, I gotta say. But he's still alive. I mean, he he reprised his role for uh for the new Rocky. Rocky Balboa. Rocky Balboa. Yeah, he just hasn't done anything since, except for a bunch of B movies. I think. Mm. But I don't think he really works that much. I think he's just happy to sit on his Rocky royalty check and just kind of hang out. Stallone still loves him, you know. On his Rocky roll. <laughs> Slow your Rocky roll. A lot of these, you know, you see a lot of these Spanish mission-style homes. We're about five minutes from where they end, by the way. By the way, where he just was, where he, where, where he picked up Bird Young, the, uh, that neighborhood is very much like that. Uh, it's very much, oh, you yeah. know, it's, it's, another it's these, these Spanish mission-style homes. You see a lot beautiful, of that. Beautiful, beautiful Pasadena, Alhambra, yeah. that kind of area, yeah. Because, I mean, I kind of had to explain it to my wife's family recently. Like, they're they're saying, like, uh, uh, why does everything have a Spanish name out there? I'm like, we used to be Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> we used to, like, you do realize that we just I, kind I of stole. I think at some point you should consult James K. Polk. Yeah, I'm just I, you should. Yeah, there, there were you know the Louisiana, not the Louisiana Purchase, but the you know the Mexican American War. There's a reason we got all these places named Santa Monica, San Diego, San yeah. Francisco, San Jose, Los Angeles, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Santa Cruz, Los Angeles, <laughs> yeah, Las, Las Vegas as well. I mean that's you know it's and also weed. Yeah, <laughs> we got weed from Mexico. We got weed. That's a town, people. And and uh, cocaine. <laughs> I got us and cocaine. We got a lot of cocaine. We got yeah. cocaine, but that's not a town. That's not a town. That's not a town. No, that's just a drug. That's just going to town. <laughs> that's there, just making the abyss. Yeah. There is a town called uh, Cocaine. It's now called um, uh, Italy. Blow? Italy. No, I just... Oh, oh here we go. And yeah, he's so, back. And so he's back. And so now he's he's been a presence. Like, talk about a character that is felt... His presence is felt throughout a movie, even if he's not in it. Like, really, John Houston probably did about... I don't know, six days of shooting for this whole thing. If that. If that, yeah. but it's, you know. Oh, shit. Drop the dime, son. Look at that. Someone's about to get fucked up. <laughs> I love the the always the quiet, 
the the weird like politeness that uh, always uh, accompanies yeah. you know these kinds of standoffs can you see all right in this light but at the same way that's, that's a setup he's like let me see your glasses yeah but in a very like can you see you know yeah i'm trying to help you yeah. understand how much you suck and how evil you are and how i'm gonna Make you stand tall before the man. Why do you always have these conversations like in an alone, dark place? <laughs> yes, seriously, you have two partners, yeah, and have you them, like right, and you know by. that he is willing to kill the shit out of people if they stand in his way. And, and no offense, he killed Jake, his own son-in-law. Yeah, for no offense, no offense, Jake. You don't stand up too well in a fair fight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as we've already seen. I mean, I get he's an old man, but you know what? He's got a stick, and he's, that that means something. He's kind of got. He's got a, a stick and thugs. He's kind of got a Jeff Bridges mouth. I would say his uh, the, the elder bridges. Uh, oh, Bow Bridges. Bow Bridges. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bo, he's he's more like Bow Bridges in, in his later years. I lo- the thing is is that you know, Hall- or uh, you know, Cross here. He really uh, he he really he's he understands how the world works and therefore he's in command of it you know he like he understands how fucking dark and fucked up a place this is because he he gets it because he's really fucked up himself but he's he's got this confidence throughout this even though he's caught dead to rights he he knows he's still gonna win because he knows he owns the police he knows he 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 owns la he is the man and there we go we we have him explaining his grandmaster plan of how he was going to uh, incorporate well, here the San it, Fernando Valley into Los Angeles. Which it here, is, by here, the way. And which, yeah. by the way, every 10 years or so, it comes on the ballot for the valley to secede from the city of Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, because a good chunk of the city's revenue comes in from taxes from the San Fernando Valley. That's because we're that's where all the editors live. And that's the, that's where the all the... list and lowest Yeah, because of the live. tax revenue from Sherman Oaks, Encino... Uh, all of that, so, you know, the, where a lot, there's actually quite a bit of wealth. Ventura Boulevard is a wealthy region to begin with because there's a lot of commerce and a lot of wealthy people who live there, extending all the way to Calabasas in one direction and all the way to uh, uh, to Glendale in the other, you know, to the valley or to the you know outside of the city limits. I actually did uh, some canvassing for city councilman uh, last year, I think, sometime, and um, one of the people's doors that we knocked on. That, that was the question they asked us. Well, where does he stand on the issue of secession? Of secession, yeah. That's a thing for a lot and of people. And me and the girl I was canvassing with were like, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like, I don't know. The, like the Civil War? Yeah. Like, was bad? Yeah. Slaves are bad? No, but yeah, LA. The, there you go. Should have thought secession. this one through. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Really. This, in, this, in this scene where the guy's explaining his plan, I think it plays more realistically because it does feel, and a lot of times movies are trying to make you feel this way, but they don't succeed. It makes you feel like, well, this guy kind of gets me, and I want to explain how he's going to do this because I'm pretty proud of it. By the way, these structures in yeah. Chinatown largely unchanged. Yeah, uh, much of the area still looks. Fuck, Jack exactly. Nicholson fact, is if, still there. In fact, my my <laughs> first my first reaction, completely forgetting the movie we're watching, as soon as it starts coming out, I'm like, "Hey, Chinatown!" Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's the movie we're watching." So that would make perfect sense because <laughs> it does. It looks exactly like that still it's, it's, in a lot of ways. It's in a very the neon is still yeah, there. It's the in a thing. very dirty part of the city. It's not a very clean place per se but there's this odd beauty to chinatown in la that that you can go to there's and there's all and everywhere you turn like you'll have the main shops and then like you'll kind of go where there's shops that you don't know what they are and you'll look in and it's just a bunch of old chinese people playing some sort of game and they look at you all at once and like, <laughs> okay i'm gonna i'm gonna step away now like like i'm clearly i'm not supposed to be here there's a <laughs> literally right across the street closer to us than the diner we always walk to is this place called it's a pizza place called Bravo Fun Time, <laughs> what the and fuck? nobody is ever right. in there. Yeah. yeah, 
You have no idea what it is. I swear to God, it's a hole to Tijuana. Probably, yeah, it's a portal. It's no, a it's, it's a front for something. It's a, it's a front I, I, for something. Yeah. yeah, it's probably a hand job place or something. Bravo, like fun yeah. time pizza. Yeah, no, it's it's probably some hand jobs. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's but that's that's the thing is like China, China and I kind of get why Chinatown has this sort of like mysterious quality to it. There's like some really weird beauty, but like really, it's even during daytime, it's just sort of eerie. You're just sort of like, oh, okay, cool. There's a lot of history there, obviously. I mean, a lot, not, you know, San Francisco's Chinatown, obviously way bigger, way more grand because there have been Chinese immigrants to San Francisco for a long time. This, Ooh, my God. So, so creepy. And, just, and the way that camera moves, it's like a predator. It's almost like you're watching Shark Week. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like, holy crap, he's about to pounce. And this whole thing is just goddamn tragic, you know? Ugh. But I love the fact that he, I mean, he Look just he looked, leers. Yeah, uh, he's just ugh, slimy. I lo- you know, he he comes right in and, and uh, uh, you know, Jack Nicholson is, oh, he's the one, he's doing this and this and this. And he, he just he just goes, yeah, that's yeah. about the sum of it. What are you going to do? But I'm rich. Yeah. So are we done here? reveal on the gun. Great yeah. reveal on the gun. And I love that it's not a clean kill shot. Like she just sort of, you know, like I love that when he, it's, it's a very... It's realistic. I mean, if you ever, unfortunately, had the displeasure of seeing, like, real gun action, it's very much like this. It's very just like a, oh, shit. <laughs> like, oh, fuck, mate. It. It's in the arm. It's just, it's not like he doesn't fly over. He doesn't, like, take a bump through the wall. Yeah. This is my, is the favorite, my favorite kill in all of cinema history. It's one of the best. It yeah. absolutely is. For those that aren't watching or have forgotten, the it's car a- is a block away, and they're just firing at it blindly. And then... The horn, the horn starts blaring, and the car just comes to a stop. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it just holds no brake lights. There's no brake lights. It just drifts. And it's a slow realization of everybody in the scene and the audience at the exact same time. Whoever, oh, whoever was driving the car fuck. just got shot in the head. And you're about to hear a scream if you haven't heard it already. Um, but it's 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 a great, terrible kill. Uh, yeah. Again, visual great storytelling. Way, I mean, this is talk about a, a deliberate construction of, of camera movement to blocking. This this is how you do it, folks. I mean, yeah. And that's ugh. Ugh. blew her head clean open. Yeah, ugh. right through the eye. Right through the eye. With that very Terminator kind of. Pattern. Yeah, the, the, it's yeah. okay. It'll reform from the liquid <laughs> right. metal. I know. In exactly. a few seconds. Well, and this, he's won. He's Dude, she, yeah. she is watch acting his, it up. Too. Watch his arms here. Watch what his arms do here. Like, uh-huh. like and, he just and he just takes her he away. Just takes her and, and just, just like slings uh, yeah, out into the background and into the night. And, and he wins. Just, and the, and he, the guy comes up in the foreground and just covers. And then the bad guy totally wins. Yeah. Just slinks away. And there's Jake. It, there's that. There was a, yeah. There's a bot, but it's it's great. It's, yeah, it's, it's, really it's perfect because you feel the feel. cameras right in the middle, going, "What the hell is happening here?" Yeah. As little as possible. I like this. I like it when Lou's like, "Get him out of here! Get him out of here!" What's that? What's that? <laughs> what? What did Jake the say that made him say? What, get, what's that? As little as possible is what yeah. he says. He, which is it's a reference to what the other guy said. Take him home. Yeah, because he's sitting no, there going, "Man, I fucking did it again." There's no, there's no Jake anymore at this point. Like, yeah. there's, there's no more. Come on, Jake. Well, yeah, there is. There's two movies. But we yeah, yeah. Go, there's two Jakes, in fact. <laughs> well, Which I kind of want to, I kind of want to see two yeah. Jakes now, just because I'm, I have no idea what it's even about. But it takes place. And I mean, here it we takes go. Place, like, you know, there it is. Forget it, Jake. Jake. It's Chinatown. Yeah. Which it's. It's always funny to hear. What does this happen nightly? What is yeah. that? Is it the is it the murder show? Yeah, uh, off of Al- Alvar or off of uh, Alameda? Like you know, I guess it, I guess so. I mean, it's basically like you know how it goes out here. I mean, you remember the last time you're not going to get anywhere from trying to right. look at. You just tried to turn that guy in, and he turned himself in, and nothing happened because that's how it, they roll here. So let's right. just go. Right. It's always interesting to hear like those classic kind of lines 
spoken in context. In the, in, in the context. <laughs> because when, when we hear them as classic lines, we always hear them as, here is this classic line. Yeah. But they're never delivered that way yeah. for obvious reasons. It's like when the song shows up in Requiem for a Dream. Fuck, that's... Oh. Well, no, it was, good. It was good there, yeah. actually. Yeah. Well, no, but it's like you hear it now, it's like, oh, that song is so overplayed. But oh, you, it's from this. When you think or the, of, yeah, you're talking you, to me? Like, yeah. how many times have we seen that in film? And how many times do you just want to punch the screen every time you right. see it? But you see it in Taxi Driver. Say what you will about the movie. But you see it in Taxi Driver, you're like, okay. Yeah, it works there. Yeah, totally totally works But whenever you hear that line, it's always, forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. And it's, but it's, it's, it's not how he says it at all. Yeah, he's almost apologetic. He's like, just forget it, dude. It's Chinatown. forget it. It's the only comforting thing. It's like, it's a very, it's a very, it's not fatalism, but it's very uh, it's absurd. Cynical. It's absurdism. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, absurdism as a philosophy by Kierkegaard. That's like uh-huh. what. It, that's like what. It, it's like, fuck it. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Beldar points out that the only innocent person in the whole movie is Evelyn. Yeah, and she yeah. gets murdered. No, 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 no Evelyn's not murdered. She's, she's the young daughter. She gets taken away. She gets, she, no, she gets taken away by the little. Yeah, she gets taken away by the guy. To be most likely raped and murdered. Yeah, and the bad guy gets all fucking. Yeah. How women. many years have I got? I've got a lot of rape to cram in. Yeah. Four years. Which maybe. we talked a lot less about Polanski's indiscretions than I expected yeah. to, actually. We, we, so we, quick, yeah, no, the, go. The <laughs> I don't know if this is, this is, uh, to be, to this be movie is fair. rape a child good. I don't know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to be, but, but like, not like a, the Matrix is worth a Columbine. Well, there's there's, there, yeah, there's definitely a scale. There's, there's worth a Columbine. There's rape a child good. I mean, Michael Jackson's music was apparently rape a child good oh. on the, on the scale. You know, people something. let him get, uh, a, get away with to that. Be completely no, fair, but, to be completely but fair. To be fair to Michael Jackson, apparently that, that shit was I don't, all. I don't, I don't think that actually happened. Yeah. yeah. But to be that, completely that fair. That was the kid's dad looking for fame. Right. That's to, be com- to be completely fair to Polanski, uh, and I would in no way excuse his actions that he's admitted to, because he's admitted to some horrible shit, but. You know, uh, my wife's pregnant right now. The very thought of something happening to her, as happened to Roman Polanski's wife, that she was murdered when his, you know, oh, yeah. when she was pregnant in with his horrible, child yeah. in such a horrible and famous way by the the Manson family, uh, th- that would destroy you. That would that, that would fuck that a guy would, up. I guess would, yeah. would, I could see a clear line from that to something else. Uh huh. Yeah. The fact they still makes movies. Hey, you know that that's kind of blown away by that too. I'd probably want to live in a cave for the rest of my life. Uh-huh. In fact, happen. he talks about that on the special features where he right. was living in Italy or, or whatever and Robert Evans and Jack Nicholson were like, yeah, we want you to come do this movie with us and direct it for us. Yeah. And it's like, no, uh, I, don't, I don't give a shit. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. sorry. Shit about anything, yeah. Yeah. So. Chinatown. Uh, def- definitely stands Forget up. Yeah. Oh, I did it <laughs> first. <laughs> the, the movie definitely lives up to its reputation. It is a, in, it's a insanely solid movie. A perfect movie. Right? Oh, absolutely! I'd say yeah, so, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, per- yeah, and definitely one worth repeat viewing. And and a a perfect movie in a in an interesting way because it does everything that uh, this kind of mystery movie and a noir movie is supposed to do, and more. And it goes goes yeah, it, it goes beyond that and and really kind of uh, tweaks it in a lot of ways. Anyway, uh, it's Chinatown. It's great, Brian. Yeah, I think it's 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 one of those classics, obviously. Um, and it's definitely something that's worth a. Uh, at least two, if not more, viewings. Because I, you know, the first time through, you know, it's a mystery, and you don't know the pieces that are coming and what's going to happen, unless you're listening to this commentary, I guess. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, you can appreciate. It's one of those movies that you can appreciate so much better once you know where everything's going, and you can look back and you can see how all the pieces really fit together right. and how yeah. they fit together so well. So it's absolutely in in this day and age where we have so much shit to watch and to to divert ourselves and occupy our times this is something that's worth sitting down and giving your full attention multiple no times no kidding dork man i mean we just talked through it that, yeah. that that's almost a class 
Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's good. I'm I'm glad to have watched it again, actually, yeah. and, and talked about it. And because, like you say, uh, watching it again, I'm like, oh yeah, how about that? So, um, yeah, I'm I'm in agreement with what you guys say. I I think it's a a fantastic movie. It really, like you were saying, it manages to be a very quintessential 70s movie right. while still being a, a, 30s a movie. very clear 30s film noir type of movie. So, um, yeah, I think it's great, and I actually am kind of like, I want to watch this again sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie Doty, talk about Chinatown and its place in the film noir yeah. shelf. I, I think it's like a good, you know, I don't believe that noir is limited to one time period. I, I, I think it's a, a genre unto itself, and I think it's... Uh, deserving to you know come back out again that's why i like movies like brick that's why i like movies like you can make an argument for inception has a lot of noir elements to it um dangerous dames you know guys with secrets guys that aren't innocent you know like sci-fi noir you know we see that blade runner blade runner yeah Yeah. so i mean that's i i think there's a case we made that i think you know as far as a post-noir time period noir movie this is this probably sits atop that a noir movie that wasn't made in the in the 30s 40s or 50s that very much is you know but very much is in that spirit and vein of it and it does a lot of things stylistically with the credits that uh, credits that like oh this is a 30s font 30s style that we do this um but yeah uh, you know just like we said with sci-fi has a sci-fi has a place in storytelling and sci-fi has a place to like open up conversation and dialogue i think noir has a very necessary place of reminding people that you know what we can't we can't idealize a time. We can't I- idealize mm-hmm. a thing. Not everybody is always going to be innocent. Not everyone's going to always turn up good. I think that's important to to remember and uh, a thing to remind ourselves, you know, through film and through stories like this. So, uh, classic, total classic, love it. Uh, what more can you say? I've many people have said better things than I. So yeah, there are, there are all kinds of books you can read if you want to see someone actually be really right articulate uh, about Chinatown. <laughs> a really great, really great documentary called Roman Polanski wanted and desired uh, came out two years ago. I'm pretty sure that's on Netflix. That's on well. Netflix as Netflix well. Instant. Give that a watch. Cause that it goes into Rosemary's baby and a lot of other stuff personally with Roman Polanski. And of course the case and everything, but uh, you, know, you get some good tidbits about Chinatown in there too. So give that, give that a whirl. This has been Down In Front. You can always find more episodes at downinfront.net. Subscribe to us on iTunes and get a brand new episode every single week. You've been listening to an enhanced audio file, most likely. So in your iTunes, you see the artwork changing. You see chapter breaks. All work of Matt Fader Veda, Fader on the forums. And he has a thread where he's inviting people to help him out with uh, doing archived episodes and adding show notes to those the same way he does them. It's very interesting and straightforward. Uh, so definitely involve yourself in the conversation there and all over the forums. If you go to the Amazon store on our page and buy this, we get it. Uh, we get a buck for it. I have to figure out like a, the fast way of saying those two things now because it it throws off my whole rhythm. Forget it, take. Oh, I did it. <sighs> There's a big donate button if you are so compelled, and we have a whole bunch of new shirts in the store. And until next time, my name is T. Christie. Brian Hunter. I forgot it. Eddie Doty. <laughs> and this has been Down in Front. Thank Remember, you Mike. Thing. It's Mike. Oh. Ah. Good night. Good night. I can't wait for the part of the enhanced podcast when Moby Dick 2010 comes yeah. out several <laughs> times. <laughs> friendsinyourhead.com